Wham, Bam, Thank You, Ma'am is a podcast that discusses sex, intimate and sexual situations, sexualized anatomy, alcohol, and substance use. Naughty language will be used. We recommend listeners be 18 or older, as some content will not be suitable for younger listeners. Individual episodes may contain additional content warnings. Please refer to these at the start of each episode to keep yourself safe. Most importantly, have fun and enjoy. The man's ran on three things, caffeine, sass, and smut. The last two we provide to the masses every week, but we haven't found a way to make a caffeinated podcast yet. Which is why I'm proud to introduce Atlas Coffee Club to you, our darling listeners. Atlas Coffee Club curates the top 1% of the world's best coffee, roasted and ground to your preference, and delivered freshly to your door. Each month you'll receive single-origin 100% Arabica coffee from a new country, a postcard from that country, and an info card detailing the country's history, tasting notes for the beans, and context about what makes your coffee unique. With a focus on sustainability and a commitment to paying above fair trade prices, Atlas Coffee Club is a great way to start the morning with a whole lot of good. Want to get in on this one-of-a-kind experience? Use code WBTYM at checkout or go to atlascoffeeclub.com WBTYM to get 50% off your first month's subscription and up to $50 off gifts. Get flirty and stay thirsty. Welcome to Wham! Bam, thank you, ma'am. The smuttiest, sluttiest podcast this side of literary analysis. I'm Corinne, and I'm here because I studied media and literature in college. And just recently, possibly re-employed. That's all I'm saying about myself. Uh, who are you, Roxy? Hello. This is day 1,852. I have still not found my way out of this podcast studio. I have tried everything but nothing seems to work they keep handing me books to read and i just say oh okay and i don't know when it'll end but yeah hi my name is roxy happy to be here i'm a mental health professional who really loves smut thanks for having me so glad to have you here and what about you andy hi i'm andy i'm the one that is keeping roxy locked here don't tell her stop i can't use it as toilet paper i need something other than books there's paper cuts andy andy please just some just some two-ply come on first of all if i was ever keeping someone hostage if i just gave them two-ply come on is it even really? Oh, no, that's, no. you gonna give me that Charmin? You gonna yeah. give me that quilted Northern? Like, as someone with bathroom problems, I would not do that to somebody. Are you even if I like am keeping them hostage? You're getting real toilet paper. Anyway, so when is someone in the community gonna write a fanfic of Andy holding us <laughs> <as a> hostage, <laughs> but providing only the so best like we don't want to leave because like that's it's expensive, you know? I listen. Is it? For me, is it holding you hostage or is it hanging out? Because to me, it'll feel like hanging out. To you, it might feel like a hostage situation, but to me, I'll be like, my friends are over. That is the most <laughs> Scorpio thing you've said in my entire, like, years of knowing you. <laughs> that is the most. I stand by it. Uh, hi, I'm Andy, also known as Super Andiness. Uh, I've actually been fired since the last time we were here, <laughs> Why are we telling them our employment uh. status? I'm still a therapist. Why are, we, why are we? I don't know. It just felt Fine. relevant. Yeah. Um, in in the like 
just to get it out there, folks, we recorded the foreplay for this episode like two weeks ago, and then I got I got laid off, and then like mid recording, we're like, well, we can't record this book right now, so we had to put it on hold, and now we're doing it again. But I just so happened to get a job offer right before this; it was not planned, so it just felt really relevant that I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> And I just think it's funny because I got fired wearing a beanie that said daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and but can anybody ever really fire you if you're wearing a beanie that says daddy? I, I don't, you know, I mean, yes, I'm no longer getting paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> Which sucks. Besides unemployed, who are you? <laughs> I, I, I'm Annie, also known as Super Annie-ness. You can catch me fucking everywhere under that name i have coined it my fucking animal jam account is super aniness come find me everything i i would like you to rephrase that statement a little bit <laughs> um just because you said we can find you fucking everywhere are you fucking everywhere maybe no you can find me everywhere under super aniness i'm very creative i picked one name and i said we're gonna ride this until it dies here we are the fucking may be there but fucking no optional <laughs> oh my god that's my drag name fucking option <laughs> it's also a really good view into my mental health anyway let's talk about this fucking book i'm gonna throw a dsm at you i'm gonna chuck it i'm just gonna <laughs> and not I even the just little cool. pocket ones i'm gonna throw like the big boy <laughs> Yes, there are cute little there are cute little pocket DSMs for us to have, and they're adorable. Um, but no, I'm gonna hit you with usually, the big boy. Usually, when someone says they're gonna throw the book at you, they don't mean the DSM. They have a memmy. Have it right here. <laughs> That's the four, though, not the five. Listen, real talk. Like between us, ma'ams, my brother got a Grey's Anatomy book for Christmas. And I was like, oh, that's like the DSM, but like for medical stuff. And he's like, what's the DSM? Read it. It's about us. You know, maybe <laughs> sometimes I'm torn between like people should be more aware of things and also being like, oh, maybe they shouldn't. Because there's a trope in psychology of like first year psychology students. Like when they start reading things, they have they think they have everything. They'll they'll go to their supervisors and be like, "Oh my god, I have, I have antisocial personality disorder." Jessica, you're in a sorority. You have friends. Get the fuck out of here. Um, you're just busy at your first year at school. You don't have antisocial personality honey, disorder. <laughs> come on, get get out of my office. You're gonna do great things in the field, Jessica, but this ain't it. <laughs> Honestly, that's the title of the episode. You're going to do great things in the field, Jessica, but this ain't <laughs> Literally, listen. Nothing to do with what we talk about. We either title the episode that or Fallout Boy fucking gets it. Do we want that? Yeah. Do we want Fallout Boy to no, get this? No. no. We need to protect it from Fallout Boy. <laughs> oh my God, another one. Protect this from Fallout Boy. Let's have the fucking podcast. Fa- a follow boy is is generally speaking from my local area, so you know I need to always be on the lookout for them. Listen, listen, I've had they're gonna be right around the corner. I've had some clients because like all my clients are either young adults or teens, right? Um, they've been talking about vintage stuff they enjoy, 
And one was talking about like Green Day stuff and like Panic at the Disco and MCR. And I was like, don't, don't you dare call that old. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> and, and I'll joke with them and I'll be like, oh, another gray hair is forming. And they'll laugh. But it's true. It's true. No. Yeah. I I get on Disney Plus and I see throwbacks and I'm like, how dare you? In this episode, we cover Sword Heart by T. Kingfisher. Hala is a housekeeper who has suddenly inherited her great uncle's estate and, unfortunately, his relatives. Sarkis is an immortal swordsman trapped in a prison of enchanted steel. When Hala draws the sword that imprisons him, Sarkis finds himself attempting to defend his new wielder against everything from bandits and roving inquisitors to her own in-laws. And the sword itself may prove to be the greatest threat of all. Content warnings for Swordheart are as follows. Secondhand embarrassment, general poor self-esteem and emotional turbulence from protagonists, death of a family member, widowed protagonist, emotionally and verbally abusive family members, threats of non-consensual pregnancy, suicidal ideation, violence, discussions of war, mentions of torture, non-consensual mutilation, temporary, mentions of slavers and slavery, slime monsters. In case you're new to the show, we've all read this book, taken notes, and highlighted some of the spiciest sections. We'll be discussing the story and sexy bits, comparing it to romance and smut fiction with similar themes, setting, tropes, etc. While enjoying the signature drink of the episode. Today's signature drink is Burn the Decadent South. You can find recipes and instructions for this cocktail and mocktail version of the drink in our Discord and on our social media, WBTYMPod, basically any place you look. Stick around until the very end for a tingling tingler, where we read a segment from National Treasure, Chuck Tingle. Now let's get the first drink of the episode, Vamps. Cheers. Roxy and I with our clay, clearly labeled beverages, keeping them out of frame. Yeah. It's fine. Um, for any viewer who may be able to watch this, it's not supposed to be green, but the uh, orange liqueur I used was blue carousel. So it's green now. It should be like a nice amber red. But um, I have green flames in my decadent south. And green apples. Kind of reminds me of kudzu. So it's still south, you know. It's still. Yeah. It was a green, green color. Yeah, it wasn't this green originally. Like, it's gotten more green over time. Yeah, that's a. This is like swamp juice. Don't. Don't say swamp. Don't bring me back. Don't say it's getting to my swamp juice. Well, we have another swamp drink if we need it. This one's very tasty. But we're not going <laughs> to need it, right? We're not going to read the sequel, right? We're not going to ever go back to it, right? I would want to find a different Shrek book. But there's only one. No, we are going <laughs> to. There's only one. Spoilers for next holiday season. I think we're going to do the Grinch. Yeah, we are. Spoilers. We can call that one a fuzzy navel. <laughs> it's just green. <laughs> okay, anyway, so this book, uh, you may be wondering, wow, that's a lot of warnings, and you're not wrong. This book was so delightful, but what the fuck? <laughs> like, there were some really dark themes in this very delightful, fun, witty book. <laughs> what? Yeah, I think... It, it jumps right into it, really, because we start with Hala in her room 
locked in there by her abusive family members who want to get the fortune from her. And she's refusing to marry uh, a cousin that would then give him the rights to the money. And so they've locked her in a room and she's like, well, I can't jump out the window. I'd break my legs. And if I broke my legs, they'd just drag me back and then I'd be in more pain. So I can't just let them marry me because if, they, if I get married, then they're just kill me after. What, what am I going to do? And what, what, what's she going to do? So Roxy? what cracks me up about this is the way the story starts. Like Corinne said, is she is basically trapped in this room. Right. By these crazy relatives. And it kind of reminds me of those 90s movies where it's like, I bet you're wondering how I ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, like that fucking freeze frame. Cheesy yes. Ass, yes. You know. Perfection. And, but it's like this, like, I kind of imagine this almost set like in Victorian times. Like she's very, you know, very dressed proper. There's not really like, you know, a lot of technology. It's kind of set, you know, in this fantasy slash old timey setting but she fucking like just just instead of like this young frat boy guess you're wondering how it's just like victorian <laughs> lady in her like late 30s okay she is like bordering middle-aged all right and it just cracked me the hell up but uh so the way she's ended up in this situation is <laughs> um was married to this guy uh, who, who, I don't remember why he died back then. I think he just got a sick. Yeah. Just he just got, got like a cold. Yeah. Back then it was like, oh, yeah. they got the fever. Oh no. And then they just <laughs> pass away. Um, and so she's widowed. Right. But her husband had a great uncle, I believe is who he was. Yeah. Great uncle. Named, uh, Silas. And Silas was an eccentric. No one wanted to deal with him. He was very rich, but he spent all that money on really weird shit. And they call you eccentric when you're rich. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, <laughs> they're not a weirdo. They're just, you know, a little bit quirky. <laughs> so she decides, you know, well, my husband's passed away. No one's caring for this old kooky man. I'm going to help him out. So she she is a housekeeper for him for a long time. And and I will say, not to jump too far ahead, there are moments in this book where she talks about how caretaking was rough and it wasn't fun and it was so frustrating. And she never felt like she was doing it quite right. And I loved that. I loved it because a lot of yeah. people don't realize that there are support groups for specifically caretakers. Like it is a very grueling Difficult thing to do, and you're not a bad person if you get upset at the person you're caretaking, you know. Obviously, don't abuse them, but you are human, and that's okay. Um, And kind of to tangent off yeah. that a little bit, um, I grew up in a multi-generational home um, where we had my um, great-grandmother, my grandmother, and then my family all in the same house. And so... Um, my grandmother and, and my parents, like they acted as caretaker for my great grandmother. Um, she lived to 96, I believe. Um, and then, uh, later, um, when my grandmother, um, had a stroke, um, my parents and also like Bevan and I were helping out as caretakers, um, for my grandmother, um, up until she, you know, reached the point where it wasn't sustainable for us to be the caretakers anymore. And 
it is hard. It's especially hard. I, I remember watching my um, great-grandmother and my grandmother arguing, and it was always really funny because, you know, my grandmother was trying to do what was best for my great-grandmother, but she was a crotchety old Italian lady. So eventually it would just turn into, like, swearing in Italian. <laughs> and then, like, us kids would walk through and be like, we don't know what's going on, but Nani's angry. <laughs> And it was just, it was very funny. And then, you know, eventually some peace would be reached. And then you'd just hear my grandmother in the other room just like mumbling to herself like. Mm, so. And you I, know, I, yeah, it's very much a thankless I job. I forgot to tell you this, Corinne. Um, yeah. So, so my stepdad, who, who's been in my life like so long, like, holy crap, like a second dad. Uh, yeah. Is Italian. So for Christmas, we got him a coloring book for stress. And it's all Italian swear words. <laughs> and he cracked up. He was like, this is going to be useful. <laughs> oh, that that's perfection. fun. Yeah. We, I love we that. that to him. Um, but yeah, this book really addresses that it wasn't a fun job. But Hala had a very good heart. And Silas's family basically abandoned this old man. Okay. You need to keep this in mind. None of his family, like his sisters, his nieces or nephews, none of them checked in on him. Paula, who wasn't even related by blood, you know, she married into the family, was the one to decide to move in and help out. So Silas passes and in his will, he has left Paula everything, everything, not a crumb, not a single little morsel to these fuckwits. <laughs> the, and, and the family is livid. They are so mad. Uh, there are these bitches Corinne will tell you about. Um, <laughs> and, and they're the ones who, who basically get Hala in this scenario. They propose to her, marry into the family again, and get the wealth back into the family. You're widowed. You should jump at the opportunity. You're too old anyway. No one else is going to want to marry you. Absolute jackasses. And of course she says no. And they lock her away to think over it. Yeah. And they have no intention of letting her out. No. And it, in this type of scenario where her only family, uh, as we find out, is her two nieces. And her two nieces are young. Like, they're, like, I don't know, like, 16 and I think a little younger they're like than They're, like, 12, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, 16 and 12. And so, you know, she has no one to stand up for her. She is a widowed woman. Um, her the, the only person in the world who cared about her was this old man who's now dead and left her everything. And this is a time period and place in which you can just lock a woman in a room and say, oh, she's crazy. And people will just be like, keep her in that room. Keep that crazy lady Fucking in that room. Yellow there you wallpaper go. room ass <laughs> techniques. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, the yellow wallpaper. <laughs> uh, no, I I actually want to read that. I um I just saw a TikTok. This is completely apropos of nothing. I just saw a TikTok where he's like re digitally like repainting old book covers and he just did the lady in the yellow wallpaper or whatever and it's 
it was beautiful sorry i will say if you ever want insight into what women used to go through in the mental health field who boy who boy <laughs> very very well written very much needed uh but yeah they're they're yellow wallpaper in her <laughs> and it's it's so funny because um then we kind of end the <laughs> And that's how I ended up here <laughs> segment. <laughs> and she has realized the only way this money can go to my nieces so that they can have dowries and choose who they want to marry is if I die now before being forced to remarry or being committed that I'm, you know, not of sound mind. And then they can take the fortune from me. So she looks around for ways to kill herself. And this is going to sound awful coming from a therapist, but it is some of the funniest, dumbest dialogue I have ever heard from a character. Well, because she keeps like looking at items and being like, can I kill myself with that? No, that's really unlikely. Well, you know? yeah, it's like, it's, I don't know that it's necessarily played for comedy, but just the way that yeah. she interacts with it, because she doesn't want to kill her. She's not suicidal. She just is like, well, I got nothing else going on, and this is the best way to get the solution I want. So rip me, I guess. Yeah, she she doesn't want to die, but she does want to kill herself. And yeah. it's a very interesting place to have a character. So like there's suicidal ideation because she's literally being like, How can I kill myself? <laughs> Not I want to kill myself, just I don't have a lot in this room. I mean, I have a lot in this room, but none of it is deadly. Like, like some of the stuff what do some of the stuff she's like, you know I could do that. But oh my gosh, I wouldn't die completely. I would just get injured and then I'd be stuck in the room again. And it's like, yeah. it's, it's so funny and bizarre and morbid. And that's how we start. That's when I. It's fucking great. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, And I will say, <laughs> looking back on the books we've read, the other first chapters, the, the chapters that really kind of grab you. My Cat's Guide to Online Dating also hit me like this. Uh, make sure you listen to that episode, folks, because, oh, my God, the way it starts. But, like, <laughs> I I haven't been, like, so <laughs> impacted by a first chapter since then. Uh, and I was like, oh, so this is how we start. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> and it, it is just such an unexpected way to start a book. Because even after you, like, you read the back of this, you're like, oh, you know, she she draws the sword. Okay, you know, there's many reasons she could draw the sword. You don't realize that the reason she draws the sword is because she realizes it's the only thing she thinks can kill her in this room. Yeah, because... And that's after looking at many yeah, other objects. And it's so <laughs> funny, because it's like... Bitch, you had a sword on the wall this whole time and you were looking at pillowcases to strangle yourself with? You're a fucking dumbass and I love you so much. I would die for Yeah, you. like she was talking about like trying to hang herself with the sheets, but there was not enough room in the room. So yeah, she, able to she grab was like, herself the ceiling's and, not like, that high, so I can't, you know. Yeah, and there was the a sword time. on the wall the entire the time. time. <laughs> and it actually makes sense because they talk about how Silas was very eccentric and he bought a lot of items that were from like all over the world, you know? So of course there is a sword on the wall and she's like, okay, I can do this. And she like 
goes into great detail in her mind of like, okay, do I fall on it? I've heard of that phrase, people saying fall on your sword. Oh, but it's really long. Oh, what if I mess this up? If I get this angle just right, like girl, just Nike up and do it. I swear to God, <laughs> I don't want you to, but I can't keep hearing. And you can tell that, like, a lot of her not doing it is because she doesn't want to die. And so, like, she's coming up with these reasons, like, I have to get it just right. I have to make sure I do this. Oh, that won't work. You know? And eventually, it gets to the point where she's like, okay, I'm going to wedge the blade in this specific space. And then I should be able to kind of, like, fall into it. But first, I have to be naked. I I can't have my shirt in the way. (laughs) <laughs> because I don't want to stop the blade. Yeah. I don't know how sharp it is. She's fucking <laughs> uniboobs it. <laughs> yeah. She pulls down. She pulls out them titties. <laughs> she, she, she strips down because like this is more like kind of Victorian era times. So she's just wearing a slip, you know. Um, and she, she pulls out her titty. And she unsheaths the sword. And tits out and all uh, is blindsided by a man appearing out of the sword. And we meet Sarkis. Who is flabbergasted. Sarkis is, I, I almost imagined more of like a, like a, almost like viking type character he's very you know uh gruff sword in hand which is hilarious he has his own sword he doesn't wield the sword he comes out of (laughs) it's like a whole thing yeah it's a whole thing about how you can't wield your own sword (laughs) in your window in your window that's how you go blind (laughs) which is a joke later legitimately Sarkis is probably my favorite like leading man we've had yeah since, like, yeah like I like I loved Sarkis like I love the main character I don't remember her name I remember Sarkis's name like <laughs> I, I I'm a Sarkis so, I would so agree sorry. I would agree Misha uh Sarkis and um was it Gideon who was the Kraken Yes, those, yes. those are, I would agree. Those are my three favorite um, male protagonists we've had. Uh, Sarkis is so funny, y'all. He's so funny because he goes into the spiel of like, I am the sword, sworn to protect. Put your titty away. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, good God, woman. And he like turns yeah. around. And it's like the funniest thing. <laughs> amazing moment you know like oh i am here sent to guide oh my god (laughs) and he loses all like fancy decorum about him and it instantly endears you uh and she's just kind of stunned puts the tit away because he's like shielding his eyes like this you know big buff muscle wall of a man with a scottish accent um which, if you listen to the audiobook, is how you know. Uh, oh, I, my God. Andy recommended the audiobook to us, and I'm glad I listened to her. Go on, go on, Andy. Sorry. I So I do audiobooks a lot just because I have trouble focusing, and it's easier for me to just put an audiobook on the background or something else. This audiobook is genuinely one of the best audiobooks I have listened to. Like, 
it was such a thing that like i could tell like it was narrated all by one woman i believe it's a woman uh they may be non-binary apologies if so uh this one person and i could tell who was talking constantly and like that's I don't know how to explain because it's like, yeah, obviously dumbass. It's an audiobook. They need to be able to do that. But it's like, I can't explain to you. Like, they felt like different people. And it was all this one person. And I'm like, it's so good. Please listen to the audiobook. If you ha- are the owner of your, like, Spotify account, it's free on Spotify. Highly recommend. So I, I would second it. And I'm so glad Andy recommended the audiobook because it was hilarious um and it was very well done it was very uh a very pleasant experience sometimes audiobooks like they're good but you can tell it's the same person but like andy said they did an amazing job (laughs) yeah i yeah sorry I was just floored and I was like, ma'ams, listen to the audio. <laughs> I'm the only one who hasn't experienced the audiobook, but I, I trust the ma'ams. I'm sure it is excellent. Um, I have a bit of a problem where, so I can listen to audiobooks if I'm driving, but if I'm just like sitting down or like not actively doing something else, I just fall asleep because it's just so soothing. And I actually have a podcast I listen to called um, The Sleepy Bookshelf. Um, it is, uh, shout out to the sleepy bookshelf. It's so calming. It's just this calm, like, uh, British woman who reads like, um, books that are in the public domain. So like Sherlock Holmes, things like that. Uh, Alice, um, Alice in Wonderland. And it, in the beginning, she starts it with, um, ever having you do a stretch, take a deep breath and relax each and every part of your body. (laughs) And it's really nice. And then she'll like go through like a chapter in each episode, but she'll always give a summary of what's happened before in case you fell asleep. And it's so wonderful. Whenever I'm having trouble sleeping, I put on the sleepy bookshelf. Um, It's so good. (laughs) So podcasts, I mean like audiobooks kind of put me to sleep. (laughs) That's so fair. Legitimately, I, same, like, Excuse me. There have been times that I've made the mistake. Like, I'm just going to sit in bed and listen to this. Don't do it. It's a trap. And I know it's a trap and I do it anyway. However, <laughs> this one, I was still car- like, I was still driving to work and listening to it at work. Oh my God. I had to sit there and like, to not laugh at my desk in the silent office. Just like, ooh. So good. So this, this big beefy wall of a man with a very Scottish accent is suddenly in front of her and Hala of course covers up and he's like oh you're my new master of the sword what is your bidding and Hala's like oh actually I was planning on you know killing myself and he just like his eyes get so wide (laughs) he's like what no (laughs) excuse me my whole job is to protect you (laughs) and what okay I'm gonna be real with y'all Paula is a delightful character. She is very well created, very well fleshed out, absolute sweetheart. I wanted to strangle her at times because if if I was stuck in this situation, 
would be like, hey, big beefy boy, let's go murder some assholes. <laughs> let's get me out of yeah. here. But Fucking she... seconded, Roxy. Yeah, like, holy crap, you know. But she doesn't. She goes, oh, so you won't help me die. She doesn't think. She yeah, doesn't... she doesn't. And a lot of this does come down to her character because she's a character who has always been thinking of other people, always been caring for other people. Um, when she wasn't caring for her family, she was caring for her husband who then that got ill. And then when she wasn't caring for her husband who got ill, she was then caring for the great uncle. She was a caregiver. She was a giver and not a taker. And so the very idea of putting herself above and, and being like, I am in charge of this man now and I will tell him to get me out of the situation doesn't even occur to her because she thinks she has to solve the problem herself, even though solving the problem herself involves this man. Like, she can just be like, solve my problem, man. And he will. And <laughs> the big problem he has that he wants to make sure first is that he is not taking away the rights of anyone else in her family to come to her rescue because he really wants to make sure he's not stealing anybody's glory. He's not emasculating anybody he's not you know put, bringing shame to their family that her nieces couldn't come and save her and she's like my nieces are like 16 and 12 they they can't wield a sword they can kind of ride a horse they're not coming to save me and, <laughs> and he's like well then we shan't count on them <laughs> i do love though that he doesn't discredit the nieces at first yeah he's like I've had women under my, you know, in my company before and they can fight with the same valor, you know, and like, I'm like, all right, sword man, I like you. Okay. Yeah. Like he, he only discounted them because she's like, they They're can't just too young. wield yeah. a sword. They're too young. Give her a few years. That one can kind of ride a horse. I don't, <laughs> they're farm girls. I don't know wait, what you Wait till they're 16 or 17. That's when the rage really yeah. sets in. Yeah. They don't have the womanly rage. Yeah. The you berserker. Going on 17 going times to, to go rescue your aunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, like Corinne said, he wants to make sure he's not stealing anyone's valor. Um, And she, she, bless her heart. Y'all, I'm trying to not be mean. She, she first thinks, okay, he won't let me die. Could he? Hmm. Could he? No. Could not. Hmm. Could you help me escape? Ding, ding, ding. How long? It takes, it takes too long. It takes too long for her to get to this point. But like Corinne said, she is a very caring person to a fault. Um, And he's like, yeah, it's just a door. I fought dragons. And she's like, well, did you win? And he goes, once. <laughs> yeah. Which is amazing. And then she starts asking how big the dragons were. And that's the thing about Hala. She always has a question. <laughs> oh. Always has a question. If Hall <laughs> was like a little kid, she would be that specific kind of child that is very intelligent, very bright, and will constantly ask you, are we there yet? She, huh. she will be the kid that was me who will ask <laughs> why over and over again until I get a satisfactory response. The problem is, the things I'm asking why to do not have satisfactory responses. Okay, wait. Like, <laughs> I need to hear it. Wait. <laughs> what? So, 
I had a thing when I was a kid, when I was young, you know, I would go up to my mom and I would ask a question, you know, like, for instance, like, why does dad have to work? And, you know, mom would be like, dad has to work to get money so that, you know, we can support ourselves. And then I'd be like, well, why does dad have to work to get money? And she'd be like, well, that's because how, that's how it works. And I'd be like, well, why does it work that way? And she'd be like, because that's how society functions. And I'm like, well, why? Why does society function like that? That doesn't seem fair. And I just keep like, whying every answer until at which point she would just be like, because, Corinne, because, just because, I don't know. <laughs> Please go play with your toys. And at this time, I'm like, probably like six or under. And it was just like, I just loved asking why. I now want to, <laughs> like, just thinking of the ma'ams if we had met when we were really little. Because I was very much the kid who, I didn't ask why all the time. I just wanted to talk to people. <laughs> I would talk <laughs> to anyone. My teachers would be like very bright, very intelligent, kind, will not shut up. And they would move me <laughs> in the classroom hoping, okay, she's made a friend here. We'll move her to, a, to like a different corner. And then I'd make friends there. And then they'd have to, they'd have to move me again. <laughs> so I was, I was very talkative and very bossy. So, <laughs> unsurprising. Listen, listen, the best thing my dad ever said was when I was little, he was like, Roxanne, it's not bossy. Leadership, Roxanne, <laughs> you're a leader. <laughs> this little Middle Eastern man telling me you're going to be a leader in the workforce, kid. Um, I love that. But <laughs> that is, that is excellent. I have to say that that was good. Yeah, it right was, there. it was. Uh Andy, what were you like as a little kid? Because I need to complete this scenario in my mind. You're going to be weirded out. I'm always weirded out here. I... This is a weirded out space. <laughs> I... I legitimately talked at this level until high school. Oh. I was a little mouse. I didn't have friends. <laughs> I didn't talk to anyone. I just read books and drew pictures and like if someone wanted to be my friend that was fine but like I didn't like know how to be like can I be your friend but like not in a weird way so I just oh no worries if we had known each other we would immediately become your friend yeah I would have sat next to you I would have talked your ear off and then I would have introduced you to Corinne and then Corinne would have asked you so many questions about your art and (laughs) you would why do you only draw the head of horses that's all I know how to draw. I'm sorry. Do you want to go play dinosaurs? I love horses. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I was the quiet little mouse. Like, oh. I, my parents, like, they described me growing up. So my brother was the one that, like, if they didn't hear anything from him, they were worried. But if they did hear something from me, they were worried. Like, I would just sit in my room. <laughs> I was fine. Yeah. I was just left alone. <laughs> so I didn't get social skills till I got older. It's fine. See, I had a lot of social skills. I was I was that kid that, like, I was very outgoing as a child. And then the medical trauma happened, and I became really withdrawn. And then I had to, like, re, re-learn social skills. So, like, you're all getting round two, Corinne. You know, this is, like, the, the second boss level, you know? Like, you beat the boss. I'm second phase, Corinne. Wait. <laughs> is there a... Or third phase, I guess. That's third phase. Yeah, I'm third phase Corinne. It's genuinely so interesting because I feel like my trauma opened me up. That's interesting. Yeah, my, my trauma closed me down because I, I was I was already like a really open kid. And then I had to reopen up again. So third phase Corinne, 
um, is what you all experience. Like, I was sad, but it made people laugh. So I was like, my in. <laughs> anyway. Ah. <laughs> it's fine. Is it really an episode of Wham Bam? Thank you, ma'am, if we don't start talking about our trauma. No. No, it's not. So speaking of trauma, Paula is there in this traumatic situation, <laughs> being very much the grown-up version of the little kid. Why? Why? Are we there yet? Why? Why are you a sword? Why, Why are you a sword? Why? But you have a sword. Why do you talk like that? Where are you from? Oh, you didn't like that my tit was out. Sorry, I'm trying to kill myself. Why are you mad at that? What? <laughs> I, okay. Something that feels very much like a, like it shouldn't be an epiphany, but like it is to me in this moment. Do you remember the first like few fanfics you ever read with like insert characters? Oh like yeah, yeah. Characters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's what Hala feels like. She does, but well done. Yeah, I'm not hating. I love yeah. this no, book. you're not wrong. Yeah. Very much so. Very. Yes. Very Manic Pixie Dream Girl, which is fine. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, Manic Pixie Girl is my name on the internet. Yeah. Except. She's like, I'm. Oh, no, 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 no. I was like, Roxy's trying to be nice now over here. Like, she feels like Wattpad, bitch. <laughs> She feels like Wattpad, bitch. Sounds like a good uh, episode name for me. I would say she is like a manic pixie dream girl, except one that uh, had to grow up and was like manic pixie middle-aged woman. (laughs) Manic pixie dream girl. Manic pixie 40-year-old. Oh, not there yet. Not there yet. Which, which uh, is... For anybody not watching, I was pointing to myself for Manic Pixie oh, Middle Ages. You're to change your username for it. Oh, God. I refuse to refer to myself as a middle-aged woman. So sorry. I'm just... That yeah, it's either going to be young damage. or prone, you know? Yeah. I'm going to have fun Yeah, I'm, like, really wrinkly. I'm waiting for it. See, yeah. I'm, I'm 33 now. So Same. I don't think 66 is, like... I, I think I'll live longer than that if I don't. I mean, either way, Bevan's getting a sick insurance payout. Yeah. So, like, listen, this is what I, I will accept MILF, okay? I will, I'll go from, you know, whatever this is, you know, to to MILF and then Crone, all right? That's my Pokemon evolution. (laughs) The maiden, the MILF, and the Crone. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I want. Where's my tarot set, bitch? <laughs> so Manic Pixie, uh, middle-aged woman over here, finally realizes, oh, the magical sword man can help me escape. And she she turns to him and she's like, oh, by the way, the door is locked. Whatever will we do? And he fucking kicks it down. He just like... It is the funniest thing that she thinks a locked door will stop this like, magic <laughs> beefcake kool-aids the wall and just she's she's just there and she's like oh okay let's go and in the middle of the night and she grabs a few things with her and they they head out 
and like they they try to get stopped you know the great aunt what the fuck's her name starts with an uh, m i'm gonna say it's maurice it's not maurice i'm gonna say it's like Maud or maurice matilda yeah maggot hold Mold. on we'll, we'll find it somewhere Malta. Madge. Actually, Madge kind of slaps. She doesn't deserve to be called Madge. She doesn't deserve that. Yeah, she's not She's not a Madge. She's no. not that cool. No. Uh, hold on. Madge doesn't say. deserve a right name. She doesn't, like, yeah. Melva. 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 So yeah. this fucking... We hate her so much we completely forgot Sounds her like name. a branch of Parvo. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <we have> to... <laughs> so Miss Parvo over here uh, is the one who has been orchestrating uh her capture right she's the one who's like you'll marry my son was it alfred appaloosa so. <laughs> appalachia yeah i listen it's been a minute since i read this book so i'm gonna just make up names for everyone that these I don't people remember. suck y'all they don't have names worth remembering no. i'm gonna be alver malva and alver yeah as, yeah. as we said, it's been a couple of weeks because of the whole rescheduling debacle. I wouldn't have remembered their also, anyway. They suck. They suck. Um, they suck. But he is the one that they're telling her, you have to marry. And throughout the whole thing, one, she's upset because who wants to be forced to marry someone? Ew. But the second that cracks me up, she talks about constantly how he has clammy hands. And when she's talking to Sarkis about escaping, and she goes, well, if I die, you'll probably go to him. Uh, and I don't want to marry him because he has clammy hands. Sarkis kind of gets really quiet, and he goes, I do not want to be welded by a man with clammy hands. <laughs> like, it's such a thing, and I love it. Yeah. Well, in... Alfred's just such a little Oh, bitch. God. Like, just, uh... He's just a little mama's, oh, mama's boy. He's, he doesn't... He doesn't even want to marry no. her. Like it, he's only doing it because his mom says he has to, so that you know they can get the money back in the family. But like, it's not like he's a child. No, he is an adult man who's just listening to his mother, Mommy. who is making him marry a woman against her will. And it's like at that point, you don't say, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't. You know, Mommy, I don't want to kiss her. She doesn't look like you. Oh, mother. Badass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Barf. Clammy hands, cunt. Anyway, so they escaped. First <laughs> cut in this podcast. <laughs> it might be, but there have oh been God. so many before. Uh, they're walking <laughs> down the stairs, and of course they're you know intercepted by the great aunt and her um her kid, and then the guardsmen that they've hired, their bodyguard. And while this is happening. And while Sarkis uh, engages in a fight with the bodyguard to get them out of there, there is one of my favorite characters, which is this little bird that, because Silas owned a lot of weird and bizarre things. One of them being this little bird, this cute little normal ass bird with red eyes that will occasionally tweet, be very cute, and then say, we're all going to hell. You will be dragged into damnation. <laughs> the end of the world is nigh. <laughs> I want to know more about this little bird. I need a sequel to learn about this bird. But okay, so I will say there are others in this series. I don't know if they have to do with the bird. Um, they, I know that they have to do with the paladins. Remember the yeah! paladins at the end? Yeah, there's sequels that have to do. Oh, with I the am paladins, reading so. that. I am. <laughs> I really like this book. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's a fight happening. Uh, and Mongoose is being rude, uh, yelling at her. <laughs> and Hollow's like, fuck you. Not really. But she's like, sorry, I'm leaving. Bye. This is awkward. Uh, I think so. <laughs> Sucks to be you. I gotta go. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. I'll just eat shit and die. Yeah, Bye. seriously. <laughs> um, And this bird is flying around saying, we will all be dragged through the gates of hell one day. <laughs> Give me a cracker. <laughs> tweet, tweet. <laughs> and oh, I do love that bird It was so, much. so funny to read because Hala talks about how like they'd had priests check it out. It's had a few exorcisms per- performed on it. It's just a normal ass bird. To anyone's knowledge. <laughs> anyway. Just likes to talk about the end of the world a lot. <laughs> and, and sometimes they speculate. Because, like, in this world, there is the supernatural. It's very hinted at. It's not talked about in depth. Um, there is a place that exists that's, like, the wandering forest um, around them. I don't remember the specific term for it. I think it was called the Forgotten. Yeah, Hills. yeah. Uh, and it's basically this area of land where time is warped. It is its own dimension and its own creatures within it. And sometimes they speculate the bird is from there, but regardless, it's a normal ass bird. <laughs> yeah, like to to all to anything anybody can tell, it's a normal yeah. fucking bird. So, and the funny thing is, Hala's been taking care of it. Like she'll put food in it and close it. Uh, and apparently her great aunt had opened it to try and get them to kill the bird because it was annoying her. Uh, and it escaped. So it's in the rafters saying all this stuff. By the way, the bird loved eating chicken. Yeah, that kind of reminded me of Gabby and the Gobblers, how all those turkeys yeah. sat around and ate chicken for Thanksgiving. I was like, hmm, it don't like that. Oh, they're called the Vagrant Hills. There That's it is. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I knew I knew I was close, but not quite on. I oh, I can't wait to get to that later. <laughs> I'm not gonna spoil anything, but ooh. <clears throat> so they finally get out, and oh, I I'm telling y'all, every interaction with this family is awful. Like you understand why Silas gave it all to Hala. Just in like this, they they're suck. awful people. <laughs> um. And they, they get out of there uh, and they escape. And so they're on the road and they're trying to figure out how Paula can claim this inheritance. And I will say throughout the whole thing, she's not really worried about having the money for herself. She's thinking of her nieces, which is so sweet. Well, and the reason why is because she wants them to be able to pick who they marry, if anybody. She wants them to be self-sustained because she grew up in a family with too many children uh, in, in her you know, too, too many children for the amount of money they had. And a lot of the kids died. Uh, her parents died. And in the end, it was just, you know, her without any dowry. And she kind of had to take whoever would take her, um, which is how she ended up with her husband. You know, it wasn't that he particularly wanted her. It's just at the time she was of childbearing age, they were looking for an heir, you know, and she was cheap in quotation marks. They didn't have to pay you know anybody to get that lady um and also they talk so, about her figure oh, they talk about yeah. her figure and how she was wider 
So they picked her more as like a breeding cow. Like, oh, this one's going to be good for having babies. So we'll pick her, yeah. I guess. And it's so infuriating because she often talks about her body in such a heartbreaking way. You know, she just, she just. She talks about her body in a really negative yeah. way. But I would like to talk about, I would like to read a segment of what Sarkis says about her. Yeah. She, I will say a heads up for my fellow fat babes. She talks about her body in like the way that we think about our bodies on our bad days. So heads up. Yeah. So be aware of that. Uh, general, very poor self-esteem on Hollow's part regarding her body. Um, glancing over at her now, Sarkis thought she looked much less soft. The severe lines of the habit did not flatter her figure at all. If he had not held her in his arms and if he hadn't had an involuntary look when first summoned, he would have had no idea at the extent of the curves that lay under the dark fabric. Woman's built like an hourglass, the sort that measures 12 hours at a stretch. Had he been younger and not trapped in a peculiar living death inside a hunk of enchanted metal, Sarkis would not have minded checking the time more closely. As it were, ah yes, that's a very useful thought when she's starving and half frozen and you're still waiting for the guards to catch up with you. Morning black did not suit her. It showed up the contrast between her skin and her white blonde hair, leaving her pink and blotchy, her nose red with cold. Jewel tones, he thought absently. Deep red, dark green, perhaps warm browns. Yes, thinking about what color would suit her is an even more useful thought. Has being in the blade addled your wits at last? Well, something's better than black anyway, he argued with himself. Black is not a good color on her. And then he goes on to say that, you know, it was probably for the best because he didn't, they weren't trying to attract attention. And if she was dressed more handsomely, it might cause problems. But basically, it, it's kind of him saying all these things that she disliked about herself that he really likes. You know, she talks about how her skin's too pale and her hair's too blonde and, you know, how she has too many curves, she, her hips are too wide, you know, all these things. And then Sarkis looks at her and is like, she's got to figure it out like an hourglass and I wouldn't mind checking the time. Yeah, you know? like, damn, mama. <laughs> That is one of my favorite quotes from this book. Like, I wouldn't mind checking the time. <laughs> and and I will say, um, it is so refreshing when we get Sarkis's point of view. Uh, because he, one, he's very funny. Very, very funny. But also, there are sometimes in these books very unreliable narrators like people who will tell you their story and think of themselves in the worst way and then you get to see through someone else's eyes and and how they actually view the reality of the situation it's just oh it's so good it's so good it is it is really good I it, it's great like sometimes I'm not a fan of switching perspectives I feel like in this narrative it really helped like it was it was good to see from both perspectives because I feel like both characters would have felt flat if we didn't see inside their heads and if we didn't see the other character from their perspective yeah I will say uh that tends to be like you know you hear about in fan fiction like you know uh you know things you like and things you hate in regards to reading fan fiction normally POV swaps are rough but I have found like I'm much more forgiving about them in books because honestly it's a really necessary like 
it's really necessary to see both sides of that coin so you do get the full story because otherwise it's just like because if we just saw from Hollow's perspective Sargus would just be a grumpy bastard the whole time and if and we have no reason to like him and if we just saw from Sargus's perspective we just see a manic pixie dream girl that is just like why 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 and it would, <laughs> yeah. would hate her like it's just it's neat to I yes I second or third I agree yeah yeah it, it's definitely something where like it in fan fiction I'm I'm not as much of a fan of changes in perspective and I think it's because generally speaking in a fan fiction we're really getting into a specific character's head a lot and a lot of times we need that unreliable narrator to carry on the story but for a story that is fuller that is longer that is kind of maybe trying to tell something more complex more nuanced getting the different perspectives really does help to see a more fleshed out world a more fleshed out version of the story of the events um which nothing against fan fiction i've been reading a lot of fan fiction lately <laughs> oh, so as they are on the road uh they start interacting a bit more and paula does not shut up and Sarkis is very annoyed. And then as they keep walking and traveling, he notices that she is shivering. He notices that she is walking with a limp. He can tell she has blisters. He notices that she is talking so much because she is distracting herself from the pain. And that it is not a case of someone who is being annoying, but rather someone who is persevering. And he, we get kind of flashbacks uh, throughout this book of other times Sarkis has existed. You know, from before he was in the sword to after when he was owned by various people for hundreds of years. Uh, and the battles and the people he commanded. And he recalls how one person told jokes. He recalls how, you know, different people navigated and dealt with pain. And I thought this was a very absolutely bright gem in this. And just all these books I've ever read, you know, when it comes to romance novels, sometimes folks don't really do it that well. They don't really do psychology or like the human spirit that well. They just get to the fucking, you know, which is okay. It's all right if you just want to read some smut. But the way that he just stops and realizes she's not just annoying. She is dealing with her pain in her own way. And she is carrying on and doesn't want to be a burden. Was a very emotionally intelligent and mature thing to read in this book. I loved it. Um... Yeah, go ahead. And I really liked, um, there was one of the, one of his prior soldiers that he talked about um, was a man who was an amazing shot, but after every time he had to kill somebody, he cried. He would cry the night that he had killed somebody. And he never talked about it the next day. And no one ever gave him shit for it because he was an amazing shot. He was an amazing soldier. But he had to get those emotions out somehow. And he obviously didn't feel okay with killing people, even though he was good at it. And I thought that was, like, a really powerful thing to talk about in a book about a magic sword man. <laughs> and so they, they keep carrying on. They keep walking. But he realizes, you know, 
She needs some real food. Something we learn about Sarkis is he is an immortal being. He doesn't need food. Uh, the longer he is outside the sword, the more likely he will feel hunger or he will need to, you know, use the restroom like normal human functions. But ultimately, he doesn't really need to. And if he gets hurt, if he gets harmed, he can be put back in the sheath and he will heal over time. Even if he dies, he will eventually come back. It just takes longer. So he kind of hasn't been aware of her needs, you know. So they they stop at a tavern. And he waits outside. And yeah, go go ahead. I see y'all want to say something. Yeah, go, 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 go. <laughs> Andy, do you want to talk about this or should I? Go for it, buddy. So she goes in the tavern and, you know, she's feeling self-conscious, but she has this, you know, fuck off sword with her. Um, and so she's like, no one's going to bother me. I've got this fuck off sword, you know, which is Sarkis's sword, the, the Sarkis sword. Um, and I, I she's like, I'll, I'll real quick. Yeah. The idea of a middle-aged woman with a giant sword on her. <laughs> I'm almost imagining like live, laugh, love and a little wine symbol on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because she is very much like a middle-aged you know like especially for this time period she is very middle-aged like right now like (laughs) yeah this is this is a wine mom who who got loose and someone needs to grab her (laughs) bring her home she's got kids (laughs) so you know she goes into this tavern thinking you know, I, I'm by myself, but I've got this big fuck-off sword. No one's going to bother me. You know, they might think it's weird, but they, they're they looking for two people, not a woman by herself. They're looking for a woman and a, a warrior man. And if the warrior man's not here, then I won't draw attention, which, you know, makes sense. However, when she's in the tavern, you know, eating like a starving woman, another woman approaches her and asks, can I eat with you? You know, I'm... Uh, I don't really feel comfortable being in here alone. And, you know, because she doesn't have a sword or anything like that, and a woman traveling alone it is, you know, vulnerable. And Hala immediately feels for this woman. She immediately, like, grasps on and is like, yes, of course, of course, sit down, you know? Um, and they eat dinner together. They uh, decide that they'll leave together and maybe just walk down the road a little ways, and then they can separate so that they're not seen leaving the tavern alone together, um, making them a target. However, does anyone want to jump in? <laughs> oh, Roxy's face. <laughs> I've seen Andy's him, face, though. I, th- I think Andy should. <laughs> uh, however, this fucking bitch is actually a uh, thief and has had guys follow them to rob Hala. And it's just... It was all a ploy. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> first of all, fuck you okay rude rude second of all guys there's so much damsel in this book which (laughs) i personally love a good damsel story so i'm like fuck yeah there's so much damseling in this book be prepared prepare your buckle i i will say that even though hala is one of the older protagonists we have had she is so naive she's she's intelligent but she is not wise She's a dumbass. She's a dumbass. And she... Sorry, that sounded a bit Southern. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's 
just a couple kittens short of a litter, you know. When I get irritated, the accent comes out. Anyway, uh, she's very naive. Uh, and she has a statement before she follows this lady off the beaten path. Um, she's like, well, she's a woman. Of course nothing. I can trust her, you know. Y'all... And I have to say, this is coming from a woman who was just victimized by her great aunt in law. Like, clearly, women cannot be trusted wholeheartedly, Listen, like, without real, any other reason. Real feminism is we are equal. We are shitty, too. Women's rights and yeah. women's wrongs. <laughs> you can't. I support w- women's you wrongs. Can't, <laughs> you can't. You can't think that just because someone is a certain gender. That they are trustworthy or that they are a good person. You are not bound by your sexual identity or your gender identity and how your personality is going to be. And that's a whole other rant, but Jesus Christ. Everybody can be shitty. Exactly. <laughs> shitty is its own descriptor, not tied to gender or sexual orientation or any other identity <sighs> modifiers. So, so she encounters these fucks. And thankfully, her sword brave heart man saves her. And and I got so livid because they were both very rude. Uh, the lady does like a complete 180 and she is very snarky and mean and killer if you have to. And like immediately I was like, Holla, have him kill them. Holla, I swear to God, if you don't have Sarkis kill them, I they're going to we're going to see him again. We're gonna, we're gonna fucking, and she doesn't kill them. They were very much a, a Chekhov's gun here, where it's like, if you don't fire the gun right now, the gun's gonna come back. And like, so fucking. And deal like, with so it. our first instance of that is with the relatives. Yeah. Um, and then the second instance is with these fucks. And spoilers, we do come across them later. I'm just like, Holly, you just need to get comfy with murder, honey. You just need to. Yeah. Just need to get comfy with murder, honey. <laughs> oh, okay, we're another potential episode title oh. idea. You just need to get comfy with murder, just... honey. <laughs> I personally, okay, I'm of two minds because I was very annoyed by this. I was also like, yeah, what the fuck? Like, handled the situation, but also it's kind of like I appreciate that she was allowed to keep this level of naivete into her 30s and 40s like it's dangerous but it's also like oh like you know she's never really had to deal with bad shit like that's kind of cool you know i i'm of two minds because i'm like fuck yeah don't get corrupted by the world you 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 corrupt the world back but it's she lived a very boring life yeah and that's what allowed her to be so naive because you know she she lived a life that had a lot of sorrow, but it wasn't necessarily anything world-ending. It was the normal shit that happened to people of her social class, which was people die of disease, people die in childbirth, people die in the ways one dies when they don't have access to good medical care, enough food, so on and so forth. And so, like, yeah, she lived a life that had a lot of tragedy in it, but at the same time, it was everyday tragedy. It is the tragedy that becomes normal. And because of that, she never really faced off with anything horrible. She had her own, like, her history is very sad. But no one was murdered. No one 
was attacked. There wasn't, like, war. You know, she lived a very charmed life for someone who came from a very poor background. You know, she got married into a wealthy family, quotations, and, you know, she had a husband who didn't bother her for the most part. You he know, really just couple... didn't acknowledge her, you know. Yeah. She just kind of got to do what she did, you know. And then he died and she went and worked for an old eccentric man who, you know, just kind of wanted what was, just wanted companionship, really. He just wanted someone around and needed someone to help him manage his affairs. And so she was allowed to keep that naivety because really... A lot of bad things happened, but nothing, nothing that really had made her see the bad in the world. Because everything that happened was, in quotations, normal. Sad, but not out of the realm of just the normal life of a peasant. So, but, oh, go ahead. Also, oh, no, I'm just, so, like, I, basically, I'm validating you guys. I completely understand where you're coming from. I appreciate that we've had a character that was allowed to keep that, but I agree. Handle your goddamn shit. Sorry. I'm getting yeah. rocks. So, I, oh, go ahead. No, oh, no, no, ahead. no, you. I'm no, just going to say, I wish, I wish Sarkis <laughs> had been a little bit more like, no, we should kill these people. But, like, he is controlled by the wielder he's not gonna push it he also doesn't want to break her naivety like he's he's trying to he finds it charming even as much as it's annoying you know he's lived a very opposite life to her all his life has been has been war it's been suffering it's been being under the whim of others like he has not lived this charmed life as much as her life seems like it wasn't charmed it was in a way and I think he doesn't want to take that from her, which is why he doesn't really press, you know? He could have pressed. He could have been like, we should really, really kill them. You should tell me to kill them right now. Before we leave, you should tell me to kill them. I'm not leaving until, I mean, I have to, but, like, I could also just be really annoying until we kill them. Um, but he doesn't because he wants her to keep that naivety. Now, I will say, after this interaction... We do see them grow a bit closer. He does end up kissing her on the forehead, which is very sweet. Um, and he he even like we get into his inner monologue of why did I do that? Why did I? Why did I? Why did I comfort her this way? Oh God, I hope I didn't overstep. And it's he just kind of spirals in his chapter, which is hilarious. Um, they continue on the road, and they decide they are going to go to Bartholomew who is one of Silas's friends and often a business partner who would also collect eccentricities and ex just items from around the world that are very bizarre. Uh, basically, if you ever watch that pawn shop show where, like, I know a guy, <laughs> this is this guy, right? Uh, the, this is Pawn Stars. Yes, exactly. But before they get there, they come across these fucks who follow a god called, I think it was the Hanged Mother. The Hanged yes. Mother, yeah. They come across these religious zealots who stop them and start questioning them. Like, what are you doing on the mother's road? And the coolest fucking thing happens. And you don't realize it's cool because it's going to annoy the shit out of you. But <laughs> Paula starts ranting, talking very nervously. Uh, she mentions, she mentions fucking like, you know, like that they have to go buy things and do things and, and 
I don't like cauliflower. Why does anyone ever eat cauliflower? But I think I need to buy cauliflower. And like she just well, and like she brings up some random fake relative. Yeah, yeah. And and, <laughs> and throughout this whole thing, Sarkis realizes, oh my god, she is annoying them to the point where they leave us alone. She is not doing this because she's just a nervous wreck right now. She is playing the role of middle-aged, silly, oh me, I'm so sorry, I can never be a threat, you know. And there is a line in the book where she talks about how if you, basically it's if you come across as dumb, people won't mess with you. People will leave you alone. They'll overlook you. And he realizes this is how she survives throughout her life. Um, that this is an active choice and she's actually very intelligent. And he realizes this is a way that we can get these people away from us without having to fight. We, we learn a bit more about the kingdom and the, the hanged mother uh, because she is a new-ish goddess uh, that one of the recent kings really enjoyed the religion and now they have a lot more power. However, those that follow this religion punish those that they deem evil, people that they think practice witchcraft, and they burn them. They are a very evil group. And no one likes them. No one. Except those who want power and follow it. So she she gets them out of the situation. This whole time we're like, oh my god, just kill them. And just by ranting to them about fucking cauliflower, <laughs> she gets these <laughs> these religious zealots out of her way instead of a whole altercation where Sarkis has to kill them. And I don't know. It was one of my favorite scenes. It was a really cool thing to see. Well, and I, I have to say, um, for, for reference for the listeners, these three mams play D&D together, which I think we've mentioned before. This seems like something we would do to our DM. <laughs> we would yes. do this to Autumn. <laughs> To get out of an altercation, because we almost never fight. We, we, uh, baby girl our way out of almost everything. We're trolls. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which is funny, because our party is a bunch of monsters. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> we're <fine>. good. <laughs> our we're good monsters. good monsters. Yeah. Um, I will say that that part, especially Roxy, that you were quoting, hit me so hard, because, all right. Again, every episode is Andy talking about trauma. It's fine. I'll go fast. Man, bingo card. Andy talks about trauma. Andy talks about trauma. Mark. <laughs> um, Mark it down, folks. Oh my God. We'll release the card before this. <laughs> um, growing up as a woman in the South or in like a poor area, first of all, growing up fat um, and having a bit of an accent sometimes whenever I get to talking kind of fast, my uh, Mozarkian kind of comes out and I start to sound like this, right? I realized that that's all people usually saw was like a stupid person because like when you see someone fat like there's an inherent biases in a lot of people that you assume that they're stupid um and the same with like certain misogynistic people looking at women like they just assume they don't know what they're talking about so I started to do this thing in college and I I I'm not proud of I'm a little proud of this um <laughs> Whenever I was doing one of my stints of student teaching, I had a teacher that she was from the city, like grew up in Kansas City and was just this uppity 
crotchety old bitch. She hated her job and everyone knew it. Um, had no, no, had no business being in the classroom. She would, I would talk in this accent a little bit just cause like, you know, it just happens. But also I've, 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 I've realized if I present some of the things about me that I can hide or that I can't hide and I present them to people and they take that bait and assume that I'm stupid, it lets me, it gives me an insight into their character. Psyche, Roxy, I know that that's not healthy psychologically. It's fine. It's fine. It works. I, you know, I would say that when it comes to battling discrimination, especially in the workplace, sometimes you just have to use the tools you have at your disposal. And I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just you having to navigate a system that is against you. And I was about to second that, so I will second. Um, It's something where, okay, so I'm short, I'm small. I am a seemingly very cheerful, hyperactive, uh, talkative. Um, These are all things that are true about me. However, I do use them to my advantage to make people see me not as a threat in the workplace. Because if someone is cheerful and happy and helpful, they are not a threat. They are someone to collaborate with, not someone that you're going to worry about is going to take your job, someone who's going to get promoted above you. And there's been a lot of cases where I've been able to make people work with me who don't work well with others because I'm suddenly not perceived as a threat because I'm just bubbly Corinne. I, she's friends with everybody. She's just so happy all the time. You know, they don't know that half the time I am just as ragingly angry as other people. You know, I just put on the front of being bubbly, happy Corinne. And I am generally a bubbly and happy person. But do I play it to my advantage? Fuck yeah. It's hard to be a woman in the workplace. So you have to put on a persona. You have to put on something that protects you from what other people think of you. It's it's fascinating to me because I am the exact opposite. I, well, I hide behind humor, obviously. That's just like, if you have one conversation with me, you know that. Um, yes. <laughs> damn. Okay. <laughs> Calling um, you out. Yes, um, ma'am. But I usually want, so I can't hide that I have linebacker shoulders. I can't hide that I'm, you know, five nine. I can't hide that I'm a big lady. And so I try to look more intimidating so that people don't fuck with me because I'm actually really soft and I get my feelings hurt really easily. So I try to do the opposite of Corinne and look mean and rough so that people don't fuck with me. And I find that so fascinating. And I find it even more fascinating that this is the book that got us to talk about how we actively present ourselves sorry i'm fascinated with this conversation no it's all right i am also fascinated see because i can never pull off big and tough mm-hmm. you've seen me yeah you're adorable i'm a i'm a little cinnamon roll i go card they flirt a, with you... each other <laughs> free space we've been flirting that's just true it is free it is space. just true i am i am very cute and and like this is not me being full of myself People look at me and they're like, aw, she's a professional. You know, like people underestimate me because I'm kind of adorable. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I have to work that to my advantage. And 
in a way, sometimes I can present myself very professionally. I know what I'm talking about, obviously. But I get in under the radar being cute, being adorable, being friendly, being, you know, the person you're not going to expect to suddenly be like, wow, there's the information. There's the straight facts. <laughs> that just came out of the mouth of a little squirrel. <laughs> See, I, it's so funny hearing y'all's experiences because mine has been very different because I am someone who I have to acknowledge I've never really had to fight for respect. I am a woman who is six feet tall, who is very confident, and often people will tell me they're intimidated by me. But if you know me in real life, I'm a dumbass. I'm <laughs> absolutely gremlin. But, but we love that thank about you. you. Thank you. But, but I have had people always listen. I, I'm, I'm a dumbass. <laughs> You, you don't have to you don't have to watch your words around me um and it's very interesting how our demeanor can impact how others view us like especially like how height comes into play you know like a lot of um when you look I'm, a, I'm getting a bit into psychology here you may have to pull me back but if you look at people in government presidents we have had leaders around the world almost all of them are higher in height on average compared to the people around them. George Washington, especially Abraham Lincoln. Um, Abraham Lincoln was huge. Yeah. And also he wrestled people. Yeah. Like, I am proud to be from the land of Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. He was a badass. But it is very interesting how your height, your sex, your, your background mm -hmm. can change how people view you. Um, whether they think you're an easy target or they're intimidated by someone they shouldn't be intimidated by. It's, it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that we get not her explaining that, but we get another person's perspective of, oh, my God, this is what she does. Yeah. It's show, don't tell. And I love it. Yeah. Because instead of being in Hala's perspective, we're in Sarkis's for this. And we see how Hala has gotten as far as she has because she's an intelligent woman. We've been inside her head. We know that she thinks through things way too much. But to pass herself off as dumb, she is just a rambling... She she places herself in this position of being the rambling... Um, oh, what's the word? Uh too old to be married uh spinster yes, mm -hmm. the rambling spinster, spinster. Yes. yeah the rambling spinster the rambling widow no harm to anybody just just don't bother and, with her you know and it also reminds me of how women say quite oftenly that the older they get they become invisible yeah um and it's just it was so fascinating reading this in a romance novel which i would still yeah. even though this is very fantasy and adventure i would say this is still very much a romance novel first and foremost uh, because it is them both learning about each other along the way. It's very sweet. Just a lot of adventure in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the focus really is on their relationship. Yep. They're going through all these trials and tribulations, but at the end of the day, we're in both of their heads and we know how much they fucking want to fuck each other. It's a lot, folks. Ma'am? It's a lot. Yeah. Is is this our first road trip book? It is our first road trip book. Oh my god! 
<laughs> I love that for us. I didn't even I think didn't about even that. Yeah. It is our first road trip book because so much of this book is just on the road going from place to place. No yep. question. Would this yes. mean that books like Lord of the Rings are road trip books? Uh, yes. Yeah, they're buddy comedy road trips. <laughs> Yeah, it's a buddy comedy road I bet trip. you're wondering how I ended up here at the mountain, the <laughs> volcano. I'm Old just saying, saying, you put J.R.R. Tolkien in this time period, Sam and Frodo fucked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sam and Frodo fucked. Also, Sam's actor has been like, how do you know they didn't? You weren't with the whole time. <laughs> How do you know they I didn't kiss? I love Sean Astin so much. She's fucking great. I have seen him in person. Like, I was um, at uh, C2E2, I uh. think, or or something, another com- convention I saw him at. He was wonderful. He he had a panel about political cartoons, and I went and saw it, and it was amazing, because he, like, he does, like, political cartoons. Like, I don't know if he writes for them or if he, he yeah, like, it's amazing. Oh, um it was wonderful. He's a great man. Uh, Sean Astin, look up political cartoons. You'll you'll find his his work. Listen, <laughs> I think he's the writer for them, and he has a, a, a an artist as his partner. He's coming to uh, the Kansas City Con that my mom's taking my dad to. So like, go see him. He was great. I loved it. So, anyway, we have so much book to still cover. I'm next, so sorry. I know. Don't worry, I got y'all. All right, my Virgo this powers. Book is so good, I got though. y'all. Thank I got you. an outline. All right. So their next stop <laughs> after navigating these twats of the mother are. <laughs> I know what I'm calling my children. <laughs> Incredible. Okay. I want to say I'm very much a little bit tipsy right now, but that is amazing. Thank you. Thank, and... you. Thank you. Yes. Perfect. I'll be here at my house all day. Um, Seven. <laughs> so. After this little altercation, they keep on going and they make it to Bartholomew's. While they're at Bartholomew's, they come up with a plan. They are going to go to the best fucking religion I've ever heard of. They're going to go to the Church of the Rat, which is basically a church that was created out of a plague that happened these these people which it's it, it's kind of reminiscent of like the bubonic plague you know um which uh, there were a lot of factors at play but during that plague rats spread the disease well these people in this town figured what if we pray to the rats <laughs> and the rats actually heard them and a religion sprang out of this uh and well, yeah. and what I love here is that specifically, um, uh, I believe his name is, uh, their name is Zale. Is that correct? I'll, I'll get Zale. to Zale. <laughs> I'll get to Yeah. Well, uh, basically how, we'll, we'll explain Zale in a minute, but how Zale explains it is that both science and religion can exist because they know now how the plague was spread, but it doesn't mean there wasn't a rat god. Because perhaps they just weren't worshipping the rat god before because the rat god hadn't shown that there was a rat god. And yes, they understand how the plague existed, why it spread. But that doesn't mean they didn't displease the rat god. Which is, I, it's just a wonderful way of looking at religion. That both religion and science can coexist in such a way. Um, I, I loved it so much. So the rat religion is one where basically they will advocate for humanity. Uh, the whole mythos is that rats have existed alongside civilization since forever. 
and they had grown up among humans and humanoids and the people that serve the church of the rat serve humanity which means they have a law department for those who need help pleading their case who do not have representation who need someone to stand up for them so while they're they they head to bartholomew's they decide that they're gonna petition at the temple and they're gonna get one of the lawyers one of the advocates to come back to town and help her with this legal case because they basically Hala's family has taken over her inheritance even though it's legally hers so they go to Bartholomew's and they rest a bit and they ask him you know uh if if he can help them in any way or if he can you know basically attest hey Silas was in his right mind when he wrote this will it's valid and real I knew him better than any of you assholes and they arrive there and for all the praise I give Hella, I also want to strangle her because they arrive at this man's house and Hella starts, it's a little old man, right? Hella starts to tell him everything. And Sarkis kind of kicks her under the table, like, don't tell him I'm a sword. <laughs> you know, please, dear <laughs> God, do not tell the man who is going to plead that you are sane and deserving of this will. Or that collects things that are like me. Yeah. Do not don't tell, tell this man him. who collects things like me. <laughs> and there are just these moments where she accidentally, and it's just so sus, y'all. It's so, I need to stop talking to Gen Z clients. But sus is the word for it. It's the word. Oh, it's suspicious. No. It, yeah, there's, there's some vibes happening, oh. is what I'm saying. The vibes are sus, and it is like, you want to trust Bartholomew because Hala trusts Bartholomew, but at the same time, you're seeing it from Sargus's perspective in certain chapters, and it's like, Sargus does not trust this man. She literally just trusted someone that tried to fucking rob her. Yeah, like, we see that her judgment in trusting people is poor. She got lucky that the And then Sargus is like, hmm, maybe don't trust this man. Maybe we don't trust him. Maybe a little bit. So, after that... They head on out to the Church of the Rat. And another moment, I want to strangle her. They are in line. They are in fucking line with all these people around them. But she's just talking about how he's an enchanted she sword She is legit man. just chatting. And the lady in front of her looks back and she goes, um, you can cut in front of me. And she goes, oh, why? And she goes, uh, I think you need this more than I do. <laughs> You don't know if she believes the story or th she thinks that Hala is a lunatic. And she's like, oh, sweetie. <laughs> you need to talk to these lawyers more than I do. <laughs> and it's so funny because not only does this happen one time in this very long line, it happens several times. People are just like, you can cut in front of me. <laughs> and I'm just imagining Sarkis in the background like, oh, my and God. And she's just, she's just moving oh away. Oh, and, and God. They, just, like, sinking lower and lower to the floor. They, they finally make it to the, the person um, who is a heave and the absolute love of this story to me. Uh, they make it to uh, one of the priests named Zale. And Hala tells the story. 
And Zale is someone who is very composed, very almost elegant. If if they were, this is going to sound silly, but like if they were birds, Hala's a duck and they're a crane. All right. I, I don't know how yeah, to explain yeah. it further than that. But she she waddles on up the duck she is and starts a quack. And she's not a pigeon, y'all. She's advanced. She's a duck. Um, <laughs> Sarkis she, is a pigeon. She needed extra room for all that dumbass energy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and have you seen the ass on a duck? There's plenty of yeah. <laughs> Oh, They have big fluffy butts. Oh, wait. hate that sentence. Back I just enough. don't want to picture duck ass. I'm sorry. They have big duck fluffy ass. butts. Blue. I mentioned it in a cute way, okay? They're fluffy. So this pigeon and this duck go up to this crane. <laughs> <laughs> just Andy's panicked Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> go up to sail. <laughs> go on, go on, Andy. Go on. <laughs> Duck ass wing. Yeah! I heard you. <laughs> I fucking heard you. That's why you got yelled at. That's why you got in trouble. Duck ass woo. Um, Band. You can't ban me from my house. <laughs> and and sail just like arches an eyebrow. And then another eyebrow joins that eyebrow. So it's like. <laughs> well, get the Patreon if you want to see my brows, baby. Uh, They're good brows. <laughs> thank you. Thousands of years of Persian women cultivated this. A uh, few of the men, too. And <laughs> Zale just goes, basically the equivalent of, I'm going to go get my supervisor. <laughs> And they end up meeting the head priestess, uh, who I love with all of my heart and soul. Um, her name had like bear or something in it. Oh, what was her name? But she's basically this big, strong, beefy woman, <laughs> like warrior looking lady. Uh, this is such a specific pull, but if you guys have ever played Fable 2, I'm picturing the, like, red-haired priestess with the hammer. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I loved Fable. Uh-huh. I, I, lo- I loved Fable because I could be a, a, a tall, beefy lady. I had so much fun. Sorry. I'm trying to find her oh, name. Oh, it's okay. So, <laughs> they meet with her and they tell her everything. And the reason I love her is first she requests to talk to Sarkis alone. And we don't know what happens in that conversation. There's no point of view that covers it. All we know is that they speak alone. And then Paula is brought in and she asks, are you under any coercion from this man? Are you genuinely, because because her, her family has been spreading this lie that she was kidnapped by this guy in the middle of the night. She's not in her right mind. He wants her money. And she's like, is there any truth to that story? Are you here of your own free will? And this is something, um, I used to work in a domestic violence shelter. And oftentimes we would have to separate people so that they could know, you know, are you genuinely safe? Are you really here of your own volition? This is what coercion may look like. You know, are you are you genuinely 
you know, are you safe? And for this priestess to do this, I just, like, the head priestess of this city, of this religion. I did find her yes. name. It is Bear Tongue. Bear Tongue. Oh, I love her. God. Yeah. Um, so, priestess Bear Tongue, first thing, are you okay? Second, uh, she's like, you know... If you don't want the sword, you can leave it in our care. Uh, we have a division for magical artifacts. This is very high above anyone's pay grade. Uh, we'll even pay you. And Hollis says no. And it's very sweet. Um, it's a very nice dialogue. And Well, and the reason why Hollis says no is because after all this is done, she wants to give Sarkis to himself. And there is uh, a part where, like, after this all happens, um, like, there's kind of, like, a conversation or, like, a quick word between Beartongue and Sarkis where, um, essentially, the, the gist is, you were right. She would say no. Um, like, she wouldn't sell. Uh, because she very easily could have given up Sarkis. At this point, she's believed that she is safe, that the... Uh, Church of the Rat is going to help her that her inheritance is safe. And she doesn't really need Sarkis to her knowledge. And yet she does not sell him because she wants to give him to himself. Um, and he knew that she wouldn't sell him. Um, he he knew that about her. And, and that it is such a sweet moment. Yeah, we find um, out that that's what they talked about. Uh, mm -hmm. She actually pulled Sarkis aside and said... Are you here of your own free will? She did the same thing with him. Like, are you under yep. control? Do you want us to help you break the spell? Um, if you come to the church, we can help you figure this out. You can be your own person. And he says, no, he wants to go with her and help her. And it's just, and of course she, so yeah, sweet. and of course she goes, you know, we're going to ask Kala this. And he's like, you know, she won't. And he was right. Yeah. The fact that, the high priestess asked both of them. Yes. It, it was such a lovely scene because it really showed that both these characters were consenting to be with one another in a way that, like, they were choosing this even though it was kind of thrust upon them. At this point, they could have ended this entire thing, and instead they chose each other. Um, they chose finishing uh, what they had started, even though they didn't have to. You know, there was other ways to go about it. So... With the Church of the Rat's blessing, they send them off with an advocate, with a lawyer, and they send Zale. <laughs> I love Zale so Zale, much. They are amazing. <laughs> please, please read this book. This is absolutely delightful. You will love Zale so much. Um, very much a stoic, composed, you know, character. That the more you get to know on the journey and the more they open up and just they they and Hala both ask a lot of questions and they're both very inquisitive. So it is hilarious on the road trip that Sarkis has to overhear. <laughs> it's very it's like it's like a neurotypical person with neurodivergent friends. And you're like, ah, oh, they're hyper fixating right now. I'm just going to let them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let them do their thing. <laughs> well, and they're also sent with Brindle. Yes. Brindle. 
Do you want to tell us about Brindle, Corinne? So Brindle is a knoll, which if you're familiar with D&D, is um, a, a non-human but humanoid-like race of uh, kind of like, they can be many different things. In this one, they kind of seem like badger creatures, badger people, um, but they could be, you know, any sort of thing, like wolverine people, you know, that sort of genre of animal plus people. And um, <laughs> there are many different the gnolls are very interesting because Tahala, um, she knows of them. They just kind of appeared one day and they generally worked uh, like lower class jobs in society, cleaning up garbage, things like that. Like they were there, they were kind of like an underclass, but they didn't really cause any trouble. They were just showed up one day and people were like, all right, weird animal men. And they sure. weren't, they weren't subjugated into that role. Let us be Yeah, clear. they weren't subjugated. They chose they, to do that. Yeah, they were they like. They have their own system and their own jobs yeah. within Noel's society. So, so this isn't a situation where they showed up and were instantly, like, forced into these roles. Yeah, no. that These were just, that was what Hala had seen them in. And that was because of where she was located. However, because of, the like, the system that was in Noel society, there were different Noel jobs. And up until she met Brindle, she hadn't met Noel's in different jobs. And there were Noel's that were, in this case, animal tenders. Like, uh greatly in tune with animals in this case an ox and so brindle is with them to help drive the cart and care for the ox because brindle knows all about this ox and cares more about this ox than literally anybody else in the party brindle only cares for the ox which is the funniest thing to me the brindle is constantly like no you will not do that to the ox <laughs> the ox will not do that <laughs> and it is so funny i love it and I, I really love that we got to see that, like, yeah, these gnolls showed up. And some of them ended up, you know, just being, like, cleaners or just hanging around. But, like, there's also, like, gnolls that know how to care for animals and gnolls that know how to fix stuff and gnolls that know how to do all these other things. We kind of see that Hala's experience was one that was sheltered because she didn't know about these other types of gnoll jobs up until she met Brindle and saw, oh, they don't just do insert blank. They do all these other things, too. So... We have our party, and they set out back to uh, Bartholomew's because Zale is going to talk to Bartholomew, uh, go over, like, legal defense, like, what's going to happen, uh, what they're going to bring to the judge of Hollis Town, and get Bartholomew to agree to come back with them. So they start this journey, and... They come across the followers of the mother again. Yeah. And they're antagonistic. They're awful to Zale. This time it doesn't go as well. Well, um. well. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So, so. We kind of learn a bit about how the religions in this society interact, and it's very—it's a very fascinating world, um, because they have supplies from the Church of the Rat, and we find out the Zale is one of the higher ups. Like they're—they're they're one of the the best lawyers they have. They have the symbol on their cart. They've got the robes. They've got everything. They're branded as followers of the Rat. Even their sheets are branded, yes. which comes up later. Yes. <laughs> And we learn that the mother is a religion that does not get along with the others. 
and we we see Zale, who has been very stoic so far, very intellectual, get heated and upset. Uh, and we learn a bit more about them after, of course, Hala does her little duck waddle and they're confused. She's, a, she's if you think of the Pokemon Psyduck, that's Hala. She will confuse <laughs> you while confusing yourself. She just, you know, waddles around and they flee because they don't know how to handle her. Um, and while they're gone, Zale kind of talks more in depth about how they are a very destructive religion. About how they destroy artifacts and magic and the other religions are like, what the fuck? Uh, and we learn more about them. It's just a really cool interaction to have. Even Brindle is like, fuck these guys. <laughs> yeah. And Brindle doesn't really care no, about human, no, like, anything. No, not at all. <laughs> um, and the trip keeps going on. We have some conversations that are absolutely delightful. Of course, we can't go into everything. But there's some good, it, it very much is a book that reminds me of Dungeons and Dragons. Like when your party mm -hmm. is traveling and when the role play happens and the character growth happens, you know, through these conversations. And then they meet them again. And they realize they are not going to be left alone. And Hala decides, okay, I'm going to try my technique again. I'm going to distract them, I'm going to confuse them, and they'll leave us alone. Well, while Hala does this, she accidentally trips and is hurt in the process. Sarkis sees this and a battle ensues. They end up killing which it's so funny in the book the whole time we're like just murder them just murder them and they'll go away well they listen <laughs> Listeners, yeah they, they murder they, them they all right the audience's advice um and it's so funny because after they're dead zale is like oh my god what do we do oh my god i can't believe i killed a man i've never killed and zale has been so stoic <laughs> they're yeah. slowly you know showing Zale's their humanity very, yeah i'm so sorry Zale's very much the archer yeah. That just cries. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. uh, Sarkis knew from earlier. Yeah, very much so. They don't like that they took a human life, but they also recognize that it was necessary. Uh, and <laughs> it was just so funny because Zale really kind of unravels. Like, we, we learn a lot more about them, and they they just kind of really show their humanity instead of just being like the scholar and they end up wrapping the bodies in the sheets which is funny because because they're like get the logo off get the logo off get the rat logo off of the body <laughs> they have to like cut the edges off because yeah, it has little rats yeah. dancing on it i mean guys even gratuitous murder is funny in this book <laughs> it's it's yeah like it is so funny like you don't like this book like look at this cover for anybody who can see it yeah you don't expect a book like this to be as funny as and it this is, but is it's so funny this is by uh kingfisher uh t kingfisher yes which is the uh pseudonym of another author uh or, or of the same author hold on let me look because i um 
Ursula Vernon. That's it, Ursula Vernon. Because uh, I was telling, I was telling my wife what I was listening to because she overheard the audiobook and she was like, "What is that?" And she was like, "Wait, you got a Hugo Award winner? <laughs> You're covering?" Uh, and I had no idea. I'd never heard of this author before. Um, so it was very funny uh, to learn later on after enjoying it. This is a well-known author. Yeah, um, T. Kingfisher um, is the pseudonym for Ursula Vernon. Ursula Vernon generally does YA and like young adult um, novels. And so when she was looking to do adult novels that featured the naughty bits, she created a, a pseudonym, T. Kingfisher, uh, as a way to you know, get those out there without necessarily tying them to our young adult works. Because if you're a young adult author, you don't necessarily want people looking up your young adult work and finding your very adult work. Um, so yeah, she is a very well-known author and she has a whole series of these books now under the T. Kingfisher um, name, which also I will say it's kind of a thing in the fantasy and sci-fi world to try and pick a name that is more masculine instead of picking one that is more feminine for your pen name because you're more likely to be taken seriously as a fantasy or sci-fi writer as a man than as a woman. So this pick, T. Kingfisher, was probably very specific, very pointed um, instead of being Ursula Vernon yeah. when she was writing YA. So as they are wrapping up the bodies... They are realizing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate it here. I'm allergic to misogyny. Uh, shoot. I know. It's a whole thing. There's this whole thing where I, when I am, if I were to release a book, I wouldn't release it under my first name. I would release it under C. McCrory or C.M. McCrory because. I don't, I don't think I can do R. Kelly. I don't, I don't think that would go well for me. That's great yeah, I think for that was taken. That's great. So yeah, it's not going to work for you. I, I like the name Roxanne Kelly. I like being Roxy Kelly, but I don't think I can do R. Kelly. Um, yeah, you yeah. can't be R. Kelly. Sorry. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, female writers are still very much stigmatized if they're not in the romance genre specifically, or if they're not in feminine genres. And T. Kingfisher is looking to be in a fantasy genre. While this is romance, it is also fantasy. So, wrap up the bonnies, cut off the logos, and they realize, oh, fuck, it's almost winter. The ground is so hard. How do we even dig up an area? What do we do? And I want y'all to know that throughout the story, we've been hearing, like, fun little conversations about, like, you know, hey, Sarkis, if you piss and you pee in a cup and then you go back in the sword does it disappear or does it stay in here and like they have him like go back in the sword to see if it does disappear or not spoiler alert it does they are making this man piss on command yeah. it is the funniest the thing, whole thing it's, and he's yeah. like fine i guess i want to know too i guess it's so funny this is embarrassing these, these two very intellectual people who are both very strongly neurodivergent coded with like this grumpy warrior man <laughs> being like hey 
pee in this cup. So that's like, that's like <laughs> the mood that's been going on along their little road trip. Because they, they, the, they got the lawyer, they got the goods, everything's all hunky-dory. And then the murder happens. <laughs> so they realize, so we can't bury them. We're not going to eat them. Let's do what we can to hide them. And then they realize that throughout the forests on the other sides of the road, there have been uh, pig trails. If you are from the south, specifically Arkansas, you will know that wild boar, uh, for those of you that don't know, I lived in Arkansas for 10 years and Andy is from Arkansas. So I was born in Arkansas. Woo, pig chewy. Uh, <laughs> so was my wife. Woo! She was born right. in Springdale, I believe. Arkansas. It's Warner Rogers. Sorry. Hey. Hey, twins. That's <laughs> why so you're both so snarky. <laughs> yeah. So you will know if you're from an area like that, that wild trails are a thing that like wild pigs, boars will create. And they mention that and they go, okay, we will go ahead and travel along this trail and find a body of water to dump them in so that winter is just about to happen. It'll get frozen over. No one goes on these trails uh, and it'll work out. Also another, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I will note that Brindle is specifically the one that points to the water yeah. um, because he has a fantastic sense of smell. Um, and these trails are, while mainly used by the wild pigs, um, are also used by like the, uh, I think like the hunters or like the truffle finders that use these pigs to get what they need. So what they're expecting is they'll find a trail and there will be a place to turn around a wagon because anybody who is using these trails along with the pigs would need a place to turn around their wagon. Exactly. And that doesn't happen. Yeah. They go into the forest and they find the body of water that Brindle mentioned. And they put the bodies in there. They make sure everything's covered really well. And they travel on and on and on and on and realize there is going to be no turnaround. Now, earlier, we mentioned that this is a world full of magic. There is a place called, <clears throat> there is a place called, uh, what was it? The, the, vagrant, the Hills. vagrant Hills, yes, which is a place where time is bizarre. There are creatures you've never seen before. It is a place infused with magic uh, that moves. So they realize, wait, it's not autumn here wait it's not cold here what is happening it's it's what is this season it, it, it was freezing where we were and then they realized they have stumbled into this dangerous place where almost no one ever leaves which shouldn't have been possible because to their knowledge, the vagrant hills, generally speaking, were much further south than they were. They had specifically taken the path they had to avoid the vagrant hills. And yet the vagrant hills found them, which becomes a point um, that they believe that perhaps the vagrant hills wanted to find Sarkis. It moved itself to get in their path. So they enter into the vagrant hills 
and everyone is on edge. And I will admit, at first I was kind of like, I mean, yeah, dangerous place, I guess, but he's magic. They'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are in. Otter, so sorry. Autumn, stop listening here. Yeah, Autumn, do not listen. Thank you. DM Autumn. For- you're not, not listen any further. For those of you wondering what we're talking about, uh, we all play a Dungeons and Dragons game together, and our DM's name is Autumn. And oftentimes, when we share things we enjoy, like recently, uh, we shared the Magnus archives with him. He will put whatever media he enjoys into our campaign, and if it's horror related, we have an awful time. Truly awful time. So Autumn, don't. we recently had Moopsie. If anybody is familiar with Star Trek Below Decks, we had Moopsie. Moopsie is a creature that eats bones. So anyway, Autumn, don't listen. <laughs> they, they enter into this area and they are immediately met with a... With a humanoid... Uh, are they are they like centaurs or deer people? They're like they kind of seem like deer yeah. people yeah, to me. They're 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 centaur deer people. Yeah, they're called the Rune, um, which was fun for me because I have a friend named Rune, Aww. and I was just immediately like picturing them like as like a deer person. <laughs> <laughs> like Rune, you're a deer person now. Oh, Get some antlers. No. So, <laughs> so they were met with these people. And they realize that they're surrounded by them. Like, they're, they've got arrows on them. They're like, what are you doing here? Get out of here, you know. Um, and they realize they can't really communicate. So they bring in an interpreter. Uh, she is a human who has lived among them. She can speak the language and she can translate. Not perfectly, um, but at least get a few words across. And... Basically, the gist of it is, we mean you no harm if you mean us no harm. All right? Don't draw your weapons. You leave us be. We'll leave you be. And they also offer Sarkis help, which is really cool to see. Uh, They recognize that there is something off about him. And once again, he declines the help and chooses to stay with Hala, which is so beautiful. Like, two chances. Two chances he has had. Well, and he even says, you know, maybe they'll go back later if they can yeah, find him again. Yeah. But if they can't, it's okay, you know? Like, he's ready to give up his chance to be human again to make sure that Hala ends up safe, gets her inheritance. And ends up where she needs to be because at this point he's well and truly fallen for her like he's obviously delighted by her like just her personality like yeah he likes her ass but he just enjoys her as a person you know yeah and he, he wants to make sure that she's safe and if even if that means staying a sword for you know the rest of eternity so they get permission to travel through And they actually, before they head out and leave these people, they turn to the lady and they're like, would you like to leave with us? And she goes, what? No, this is my home. Which, oh, if I could know the lore of those people, if I could. I want to know more about that lady. I do too. I do too. 
just oh how long has she been there it's like a timeless land yeah. how long has she been there it was it was just, how did she get there why does I, she I love just, it here why does she not want to leave yeah. it was just very cool um yeah so they travel on they make camp and you you think oh well this won't be so bad this is a little little blip in my romance story and then the screaming happens we hear these creatures in the night start yelling and i i think they're described like monkey squirrel hybrids in the trees you know and yeah. it and as we hear that yeah if you look up at the sky what you see is a distortion of the stars and it's it's very bizarre and it's very creepy and he he gets his sword out because he thinks he has to catch these creatures and then it lands on Sarkis. You would think it was one of the squirrel creatures that has landed on him. No. It is a thin, clear, greasy substance that is trying to crawl inside his mouth. That has enveloped his head. And you realize in that moment where he is struggling to remove it from himself. That the creatures around him were not to be feared, but that they were raising an alarm. Paula sees this happen, doesn't know what to do, realizes that Sarkis has the ability to go back in the sword and be safe. So she sheaths him and a gelatinous substance plops down. You, you could describe it as a slime, but it is almost like a nauseating tar like clear substance like an oil puddle that's clear yeah you might say and and it seems confused and they i think they they wave fire at it and it retreats and they unsheath sarkis and they're like we're so glad you're okay and he's like i am too it was trying to get inside of me which is a terrifying thing to hear yeah yeah and okay so these things are horrifying they call them sky swimmers they don't have another name for them they look kind of like stingrays if they were clear and terrifying and flew and eventually as they're traveling again they see what happens when a sky swimmer takes over something because they see a deer that's emaciated and like milky eyed and just kind of stumbling through the undergrowth and then it collapses and like well, well, the the it oh, doesn't collapse they put it out of its misery they oh yeah they it. shoot it yeah 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 they they shoot it to put it out of its misery my apologies and then like the the sky swimmer like detaches and like flies <laughs> away yeah like sloops away and as they're continue to travel there's still no place to turn around and the walls are getting higher and higher and they're just seeing these sky swimmers hanging from the trees and it's almost beautiful in a way they're like translucent and sparkling and like wind chimes but at the same time they know that at any moment they could wake up but they seem to be nocturnal and so they're like going through this forest with these horrible monsters just kind of waving in the wind next to them and at any moment they could wake up and try and take over their bodies and it is horrifying it is seriously the scariest scene i've read in a book in a really long time uh i was not expecting this in this book (laughs) 
the tension was so high. It was crazy because they basically have this long stretch of land they need to navigate. And like Corinne said, they're nocturnal. So it's, it's daylight at this point. They're all asleep. And they realize we have to leave. We have to get out of here before they wake up and consume us and take over our bodies. They barely make it. Barely, because the things start waking up and twitching and moving more in the wind. And just, it's it's so well described. You will feel like you are there. And I have never felt more terrified of fucking plastic bags in my life. <laughs> <laughs> like a plastic bag. Katie Perry, get out of here. Run, <laughs> run, woman. <laughs> oh, no, she's been overtaken. Oh, Katie Perry's down. No. god damn it so they they make it out and they keep traveling and then they come across a pond that looks very familiar and then they see the dead body in it and they go no fucking way they have escaped they have come out the same way they have come in and they've all got they've all gotten a lot closer (laughs) (laughs) almost dying together time has passed it is the wildest thing uh and they finally make it to Hala's village Zale for all the un- for all the unraveling you see Zale do in the forest they are in their element Zale oh honey just oh gets into that clerk's office and goes Hi, I'm an official with the Church of the Rat. May I see your documents on my client? Like, just takes control of the situation. Boss bitches it up. Just legally blonde moment all over. Uh, (laughs) And it's just, it's just so cathartic because Hala's family members arrive. And they're like, what's the meaning of this? (laughs) What? (laughs) Because they've been telling everyone she was kidnapped. Uh, and she's not of her right mind, and this is theirs. They have been living in that house while she was gone. Which shouldn't have been legally allowed. Zale goes, isn't this illegal? Shouldn't they be vacated from the premises until the the will is official? And he goes, oh, oh, yeah, this poor clerk. <laughs> the guy who's basically hired because he has the nicest handwriting in this tiny-ass town. I do feel bad yeah. for the clerk. Like, the clerk is, he's just in the middle of this whole mess, and he's like, uh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. oh, we'll fix that. Yeah, uh, Now, uh, Zale boss bitches it up. They get a court date arranged. Uh, there's a great moment where the ants and all her little shitheads are kicked out. Uh, they're like, what's the meaning of this? Why are you doing this? Get out of here. Get, get not yours go away you all suck and uh bartholomew does arrive uh to give and he's there specifically to try and be witness to say that um the great uncle was in his right frame of mind when he signed the i will say up until this point i did not trust bartholomew up until this point uh because there was a moment earlier on where we, we unfortunately don't have enough time to cover everything, but there's some really good moments in this book. Um, but earlier, someone tries to steal from Hala. Like, she gets cornered in the town they're in. Uh, not her town, but, you know, while they're traveling. And 
Sarkis is like, why would anyone do this to us? That doesn't make any sense. And I, I was like, your family doesn't know you're here. Only Bartholomew knows. So I didn't trust Bartholomew until this moment. Uh, and I will say there is an amazing moment where she's running away from the mugger. And Sarkis asks prostitutes, because they're, they're the only ones out that late at night, you know. Um, he asks them, have you seen a girl run by? And they go, I didn't see anything. All the prostitutes he comes across vouch for her because they think he's going to hurt her. They think she's running well, from him. And specifically, it's because they saw blood on both yep. of them. Um, and so they make the assumption that he had hurt her yep. and she was running from him. Girl and code. At Girl one, code. Uh-uh. Exactly. At one point, one of the sex workers was like, if we see a, a woman running from a man with blood on his hands... Really nice and healing from her interaction with that woman at the very yeah. beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was so nice to see, you know, uh, that support from people that didn't even know her. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Bartholomew, at this point, I trust him. I'm like, okay, he did show up. Fuck yeah. Okay. Well, then what the fuck was that all about? Uh, and Bartholomew <laughs> is there with his friend, who is another scholar, uh... And the 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 court session goes really well. Uh, Zale is amazing. Zale is very good at their job. Uh, destroys them, and everything is ruled in Hala's favor, which is absolutely lovely. <laughs> Want more? Wham, bam, thank you, man. Can't get enough of our sexy voices and even sexier brains. Join our Patreon at the flirt level for only $3 to gain access to ad-free episodes, monthly book polls, and the patrons-only portion of our Discord. Looking for something more? Our one-night stands at $5 also get episodes one week early, access to our personal reading notes from each episode, and a special, customized gift in December. We have so much to show you. All we need is a little commitment. Interested? Check out our socials, WBTYMPod, basically anywhere people congregate. Each one will link our Patreon. Can't wait to see you there. All right. So we have our first real big victory. Uh, she's finally in her home again. Uh, it's just a good feeling all around. But Sarkis is especially very happy because throughout this whole journey, Sarkis has decided that I, I'm, I'm going to be upfront and honest with her about how I feel. Now, in the past, there have been moments where he's given her a kiss on the forehead. There is a moment later on where he full-on kisses her. Uh, and then he's like, should have done that. Shouldn't have. Oh, and then he withholds, you know. <laughs> but he has decided that he's going to tell her how he feels once everything is done. Once she gets her house back, because he is worried that she will feel she has to say yes in order to keep him to help her. And he does not want her to feel that way. He does not want her to feel like he has that power over her. He wants to make sure that this is genuinely her own decision. And throughout the whole thing, Sarkis is like, I'm not a very good person, but this is the least I can do. And as we learn more about Sarkis, 
we do find out that the reason he is this way is because of a sorceress blacksmith from hundreds of years ago turned him and his crew into these magical weapons. And we don't really quite know why. We don't really know what happened, but all we know is he consistently says, I'm not as good as you think I am. And he had been wanting to tell her before things got serious what the sword said, because the sword has an inscription on it. But after they win this this court case, he he slips. You know, they're safe. She's safe. She has her inheritance. And he thinks, you know what? I'm just going to... It's okay. It's okay. You know, I'll I'll tell her. I I will. I'll tell her. And at least at least I'm waiting so that she can be completely upfront and honest with me that she wants this too. Yeah. Cuz he's been waiting this whole time. Yeah. And so like he hasn't told her what's on the sword, but at the same time he did wait until she could essentially fully consent to what was going to happen without any fear of repercussions of him not protecting her. And so I I actually have uh I have the spicy bits here. Yeah, time for a little spice. We've been waiting. This is from Sarkis's perspective because from a Hollis perspective, it is very closed door. Now, she I, is I will, she's very coy. I will say this reminds me a lot of uh the pirate book we read. Yes. Um in that there's so much build up. There's so much so much so it's a slow burn, y'all, and a real slow burn. We get a bonfire. Look how far in this book we are for people who can see this. It's it a lot. It's a lot if you can't see. It's a lot. But it's worth it. Okay. All right. <clears throat> this was generally sensual for about 30 seconds and then devolved into a confusion of hooks and buttons and lacing. Sargus eventually gave up trying, dealt with his own armor, and let Hollow wriggle her way loose. She covered her breasts with her hands, looking embarrassed and defiant all at once. The bodice had left two long red lines along her sides. He ran his fingers down one, and she squirmed. You are beautiful, he said. Ah, I, well, you are beautiful, and if you deny it, you are insulting my good taste, and I will be terribly offended. She looked skeptical about this, but he took her hands in his and kissed each fingertip, which had the advantage of freeing up her breasts. They were indeed excellent. He slid his hands up under them and growled appreciatively at their weight and softness and the way the nipples hardened under his thumbs. Sarkis, I, uh, <clears throat> she cleared her throat, looking down at his hands. You'll have to tell me if there's something I'm supposed to be doing. It woke an unexpected rush of tenderness in him, and he was not used to tenderness. He suddenly was half afraid himself that he'd startled her or leave her feeling ashamed. He sat down on the bed and drew her back against him, lips against his neck. Enjoy this. Tell me if you don't. That's all I need you to do. And she had. More than he'd expected, honestly. Admittedly, he hadn't been braced for all the questions, but that was his own damn fault. He really should have seen it coming. For he tries to lose her virginity. Great God's balls. It made him want to beat his head against the headboard even now. The more he learned about Hollis' previous marriage, the more he wanted to set the entire South to torch and start over from the ground up. As he did not currently have that option, he had made love to Hollis instead, which was more satisfying than setting a country ablaze and substantially less messy. Finally, he thought, 
He felt as if he had waited years to be able to slide his hands over her rounded hips and down between her thighs, to finally touch her in all the ways he had imagined doing. Ah, Sarkis! She pushed back against him, gasping, and he thought that she seemed as much astonished as aroused, but not alarmed. That was the important thing. He held her close, murmuring endearments against her neck, and when she stopped trembling in his arms, he started over again. Something, something that that reminded me of was, so throughout the book, he says things like to the great God. And he also says things like this damn decadent South, burn it all, which, okay, Sherman, go off, but leave Atlanta alone. We're trying. Um, I can make that joke. I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> it just. It's just so funny, and that's why the drink we have today is called... The burn the Decadent South. <laughs> burn the Decadent it's South. It's empty, but burn Ooh. it. Because whenever he finds things that, like, she says, oh, I'm not really the type that people really like here. He's like, what? My people would like you back in my day, you know? <laughs> it's like all this, all this kind of stuff. Or, like, whenever they explain customs that are going on, because he's in the sword for, like, indiscriminate amounts of time between owners right uh <laughs> they have to kind of catch him up on like modern things you know he'll constantly be like this decadent southern <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny um grandpa. <laughs> okay grandpappy it's time to it's go it's time to go back in the sword grandpa okay but but like in this in this scene where they're finally being intimate when he that just reminded me that he has these sayings throughout the book, like calling out to the great God. It's so funny. Um, and also during this scene, one of the fucking best things happens. And that is he finishes before her because he hasn't had sex in hundreds of years. It's gonna happen. But then Hala's like, oh, are we done? And he's like, no, you haven't orgasmed yet. And then he helps her complete her journey <laughs> um which she is not used to yeah her <laughs> sorry prior husband was a uh one and done uh it took him three times to actually take her virginity like nothing wrong with that but he was not a good lover and he didn't even try like he was like he just like he goes at it for two minutes high five after hope we have a kid yeah <laughs> Like, he was not engaged in the act at all. He would, like, stare at the mm. wall, which, like... Yeah. Hala is a lovely woman, a joy, and a pleasure. And he did not appreciate that. So this happens, and it's very romantic and delightful and lovely. And then... Uh, oh. It's not a liar revealed, no. but it is a... She discovers what is on the sword. And she discovers. Oh, uh, one being the young leopard, is which sword, is a character basically. I really liked saying on the sword, is that someone who was not loyal in life will forever have to be loyal in death. We discover. Now, throughout the book, there's so many flashbacks Sarkis has to previous people he has served. Um, and we learn that on the eve of a great battle, when 
Sarkis thinks they won't win. He double crosses. Because uh, he, he led a group of mercenaries and they were hired to help this town. This is before he became a sword. Okay. They double cross on his orders because he wants to save his men over the people that have hired him. Well, the people actually end up surviving and they actually end up winning the battle even when they are double-crossed and abandoned. And Sargus and his people are punished for it. And the sorceress who put him in the sword, who put his loved ones, his, his fellow soldiers in swords, it was a punishment. And we discover and that is why he is like this. I will say she ends up becoming a goddess in her own right because of this action. She becomes known as the, the Great Smith, was it? Um, something but, along those lines. But, <laughs> but before we discover this. Yes. Paula is very hurt. I'm very upset that she was lied to. That, you know... Just all of the things they've been through. I cannot stress enough in this book how so many little things happen along their journey to build up this bond. So she sheaths him because she doesn't want to fight with him anymore and says, there, you belong to yourself now. And this is another case where I feel Hala is very naive. Yeah, because incredibly. Because she thinks if she just states it and puts him away that no longer... Does he belong to anyone, but rather he belongs to himself? Because she doesn't want anything bad to happen to him because of this. She just doesn't want to be involved anymore. She feels hurt. And she's like, you can go off on your own. I'm done. Who unsheaths the sword? But Bartholomew. Bartholomew. And we discover... That Bartholomew has actually double-crossed Hala. Party's a little bitch. He has been undermining her this entire time. He is the one who uh, hired the uh, the person who tried to mug her. That's what he... I fucking thought. And then they threw me for a loop. Yeah, I... like oh. he, he has been trying to get the sword the entire time. Yeah. Because she, she can't keep a secret. <laughs> yeah, because she can't keep a goddamn secret to save her life. And, and Nolan, the, the man who's with her, the scholar, uh, with him, the scholar, like, he wants the sword because they believe that the sword is one of the swords created by the Sainted Smith, which is a newer goddess, um, one who became a god through sheer skill, essentially, who was... Uh, had the magic had the skill to put people into swords and nolan has been seeking those swords and so nolan was with bartholomew because they had made a bit of a deal one might say and the whole deal was that they were going to get the sword from hala after traveling back um and they actually end up working with um the aunt and the cousin like, it's a whole double-crossing thing. They lock up both Zale and Hala, because Zale is still there celebrating, you know? Um, and it is 
absolutely frustrating witnessing this because it's, it's one of those things like throughout this book this didn't have to happen if if she hadn't have had that you know naive thought of oh it's all done he's good now he's free instead yeah. of realizing this would just make him go to the next owner like I like her as a person, but sometimes I was just bashing my head against the wall. I wanted it to be genie rules. I wanted that to work really bad. Yeah. I was hoping yeah. that would work so bad. And then I, when it didn't, I was like, yeah, dumbass. Of course it didn't work. Well, especially because but it's I a punishment. Like, like the fact that it's yeah. a punishment, it makes sense that it doesn't work if someone just says, hey, you're free. You know, you belong yeah. to yourself. Because at the end of the day this was a punishment, you know? It, while it was unlikely he would find someone to free him, you know, he did. But w why would the Saint and Smith uh, allow that, you know, to be that easy? Yeah. And it, we end up finding out that the reason why the, why uh, Malva and Alver were so intent upon getting this land and uh, getting the the money was because they had already used this land as a um oh what's the word like a backing for other loans that they had gotten they had already leveraged this land that they didn't own that was owned by the great uncle and if they were found to not actually own the land they were defaulting on these loans they had taken they had assumed the money was going to them and that they could place uh, liens on this land without it having any problem because it was going to come to them anyway. Except it didn't. And now it hadn't. And now they were going to be in big fucking trouble. Which is why it mattered so much to them to get this land. Which is why, you know, they were willing to do whatever it took to get the land and to get the money. And... Ptolemy was ready to be paid off, and so was Nolan. Nolan was ready. He just wanted that sword. He wanted the sword. That was all he wanted. But things don't go exactly as planned for Nolan and Bartholomew. So so what happens <laughs> is they end up taking Sarkis with them, and they leave Zale and Hala at the mercy of her relatives. Y'all, Zale and Hala fuck them up and they escape. It's amazing. It's a yeah. great scene. They like... <laughs> and they are not damsels. They no, They get no. their way out of it without Sarkis. There's character progression and it's beautiful. And they decide, fuck it, we're gonna go get him. We know where Bartholomew lives. <laughs> and... They really said, fuck it, we ball. Yeah. yeah. And, and they now Sarkis is the damsel in distress. Essentially, yes, Sarkis needs to be fun, saved. It is such a fun flip of the trope. I I'm such a sucker for like bookends and stories, you know. And they come across these people who I want to read their story. Earlier, we mentioned paladins. Uh, that there's a there's other series in this you know world. That there's other books. They are followers of the masked god. And they are paladins who go about, you know, helping people, right? And specifically um, exercising demons and killing demons. That That is one of their main goals is demons. So they, they end up being 
helped by Hala. Like, she's not in it for anything. She sees that one of them is injured. They meet them at a tavern. And Hala, who's been a caretaker her whole life, helps the injured guy. And these people are such himbos. They're they're yeah. known as being... Because Zale gives us, like, the inside on, like, what different followers of different religions are like. It's very high school. It's amazing. Uh, and Zale's like, oh, yeah, they're they're pretty, but they're not very smart. <laughs> the mascot has a type. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, but these people... Um, because Hala helps them, they decide to help her back and they escort them back to Bartholomew's. They protect them from the masked, uh, not the masked god, the uh, the hanged mother fucks who are still patrolling the roads and no one likes them. It's so funny hearing Zale who follows the rat god and then these himbos who follow the masked god basically bonding over their hatred. <laughs> Yeah, being like, you oh, know, yeah, the hanged motherfucks, they suck. We hate them. Oh, my God. The hanged motherfuckers. Yeah. Sorry. I love that, Andy. The hanged motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, but they end up making it safely back. They go to Bartholomew's. And what do they find? But a dead Bartholomew. Apparently, Nolan and Bartholomew disagreed severely uh, the deal was that Nolan and his cult could have the sword if he helped out. But Bartholomew just couldn't really quite give it away. Uh, so now Sarkis follows Nolan. And they arrive. And Nolan orders Sarkis to kill Hala. And in another bookend moment, because Sarkis cannot deny the people that wield him, he cannot attack them. They are safe from him. He decides instead to fall on his sword, like Hala tried in the very beginning, killing himself and having himself return to the sword state, where he will heal and come back eventually within a week's time, instead of hurt her. Because it's the one thing he can do. He can't hurt his owner. He doesn't want to hurt her, even though he is compelled to. And that is what he does. And it's so sweet. It is very sweet. It's very sweet. And uh, then I believe the uh, the paladins are like, yo, uh, none of this was cool. Jail time. Yeah. Come on, Nolan. <laughs> Come on, Nolan. Let's go to jail. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> go ahead. Well, I'm about to sum up the book real quick. So anything you want to say? No, no, no. Go for it. This is the best part in the entire book for me. It's the best fucking part. So they, they, take, they take Sarkis back. He heals once again. He is under Hala's control because she pulls him out. Um, <laughs> and while they are back in her town, damn it! Uh, I just want to say, pull out game strong. God damn it! <laughs> while they are back in her town, they discover that Bartholomew wrote his will to Silas. So not only. Does Hala now have one rich old weird dude's money? She now has the one who double-crossed hers, 
fortune. <laughs> God, that's delicious. And and like you know, the the family is officially fucking dealt with. She now has double the money, and her and Sarkis have this lovely moment of "I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry." And the book ends with them getting married, and Zale performing the ceremony. And Brindle's there, too! It's just so good. It's a good book, damn it. It's a good-ass book, y'all. There is no way we could have covered all of it. Like, we no. covered a lot of it, but there's so there much. There were 60 chapters. I left out so much. I tried, y'all. I tried. It is such no, a good book. Yeah. It is lovingly written. It is... You can there... tell that T. Kingfisher is a Hugo Award winner, you know. Yeah. It is well done. There is something, though, ma'am, so... Uh, after I finished the book, I kind of just looked at the online presence because, you know, um, and I found a Reddit post where it was like, does the fact that he's going to live on after Hala haunt anybody else? So it doesn't for me because I feel like they're going to make their way back to the Vagrant Hills. I if think the Vagrant so Hills too. lets them yeah. in. I think the Vagrant Hills won't let them in again. Also, the Vagrant Hills was very yeah. interested in Sarkis. Also, can you imagine, like... They, they reunite with her nieces and they like kind of adopt them and then like you have like a a fan a family grandpa forever like i don't know i mean it's sad Aww. that hollow will pass but like the idea of like a grandpappy <laughs> like an eternal yeah. man to just watch over your family well, and yeah. i think holly even said that like even if they weren't able to you know free sarkis that you know she would pass him down to her nieces and he yeah. would keep watch, you know, like make sure they were safe. And like, that was really sweet. Like they had a plan, like even if they couldn't fix it, you know, like yeah. they wanted to, that that was the goal was to free him. But if they but couldn't. This yeah. world is so rich. Like I'm certain they'll return. I am certain. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. I felt like at the end, they kind of hinted at like finding out more about the other swords. Yeah, they yeah. did. And I need to know. Because they, they found out, um, I think the Masked God people warned them like, hey, we were getting information out of Nolan and he was killed. But before he was killed, because I don't think they did it. I think something else got him. Um, mm -hmm. He was telling them they were searching for the others. So Sarkis's friends are out there. Yeah. And the the uh, saint the the cult of the saints sainted Smith are looking for them, um, because you know they're artifacts of their religion, um, because the sainted Smith is a new god, um, in the sense that she wasn't really a god, but people are worshiping her now. Which, if you think about it, does kind of make you a god. Uh <laughs> which I will say, I found it so funny. Um, there was so much we couldn't address. But in the flashbacks, you got a bit of the sorceress's personality. I loved her. I'm sorry. I know she was like a wielder of human souls, but like, she's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you can't say they didn't deserve it. I mean, like, it's an awful thing to happen to anybody, but like, a pretty fitting punishment. Yeah. I mean, you had it coming a little bit. You yeah. had it coming. He had it coming. And there's, there's so much we left out. Like, there's a scene where Nolan is interrogating Sarkis and Sarkis is like, you want to know more about me? And like whips out his dick. Yeah. <laughs> he literally <laughs> whips out his dick. <laughs> there are so many fun 
funny freaking moments. But like Andy said, there's 60 chapters in this book. You're going to have to reserve some time. And enjoy it. You'll you'll really enjoy it. It is a good read. So. Um, oh, go ahead. What do we, what do we want to rate this, ma'ams? So. 10 out of 5. <laughs> Was this your favorite we've done so far, Andy? Yes. Hands down. I was yes. going to say this is a 5 out of 5 for me. If I can rate higher than 5 out of 5, I'm gonna. Um, it's. It's delightful. It's so well done. I'm so glad Cody recommended it. Cody doesn't only recommend awful, horrible things. He also recommends lovely things. I You get a pass this time, you little shit. <laughs> I It's very hard for me to say this. She annoyed the fuck out of me. And mm-hmm. even then, I'm going to give this a five out of five. <laughs> hey. I, there were, y'all, there were moments I was like pacing. I was like, why would you do that? Why would you just kill them? Just kill them. Oh my God. Dumb of ass. Dumb of ass, but pure of heart. Pure of heart. She is most definitely. (laughs) She is our first, not a pigeon, but a goddamn duck. (laughs) Goddamn duck. She really needed Sargus there. But at the end, her and Zale did some. They had character growth. They had character growth. Yeah. Oh, this was a good book, y'all. But really good. Now, it's time for our tingling tingler. Do you feel it? Do you feel the tingle in your bones? Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Do you feel the tingle in your butt? Wait. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. My company, Butt Industries, does plenty of research and development on an assortment of projects, from high-tech weaponry to environmentally efficient energy solutions. Just looking at the pictures, this object could be any one of those things. But for a moment... I'm guessing it is some kind of video game. Time displacement system, I read aloud. Suddenly there is another knock on the door and Mr. Whippo's secretary steps inside. Are you ready? She questions urgently. They're already down in the conference room. I glance up at the clock and I'm shocked to find that while my face was buried in this tome of hard science, time had been flying by. The meeting starts in three minutes. Holy shit, I blurt, standing up from the table and spilling my cup of coffee everywhere. I'll get that, the secretary tells me. You go. I grab the stack of papers before the brown beverage can get to them, running out the door with a frantic thank you and then sprinting down the long hallway before me. The building that I work in is huge, and it takes the full three minutes to get to the conference room. Thankfully, however, I'm somehow able to make it there in the nick of time, bursting through the door with a wild look in my eye. I'm here, I announce to the room of patiently waiting investors, a table full of balding men that extends on for what seems like forever. Mr. Whippo sits at the head, staring across the table with pride at his favorite employee's arrival. All right, so I start trying to collect myself. Behind me, a slide suddenly appears displaying one of the blueprints that I had just been looking over. Okay, I say. This, of course, is the Kronos Project, a new gaming system that we've been developing here at Butt Industries over the last year. I scan the expressions of the businessmen before me, subtly trying to discern whether or not I've hit my mark. They do not seem pleased. This excerpt is from Slammed in the Butthole by my concept of linear time. Looking for the sexy bits? Well, those secrets are chucks, not ours, and we don't kiss and tell. You can find this book on Amazon Kindle for $2.99. I, I, I thought this, since this book had a lot of flashbacks. Uh, yeah, yeah, we got yeah. it. We got, we got linear it. Linear time. Yeah. Genuinely one of my favorite titles that <laughs> Chuck Tingle has ever created. <laughs> and just to be clear, I have not read the book. I have no idea if the book's any good. I'm sure it is. I just um, constantly feel like I'm being slammed in the butthole by my concept of linear time. Okay, like, are we done? Are we, are we, are we good to go? Can I leave? Can I? 
night to see my family again? <laughs> um, I think we had uh, like a selection of fan fictions that Andy found, but it's been a while. I, I don't know if we just want to include those in the notes for folks. Yeah, I gotta be honest, I don't really want to dig them back up. Yeah, but... we'll, we'll, we'll have it in the notes for you, don't worry. You can all peruse them. Um, honestly, this book is just so good, y'all. Uh, read it. Buy it! Buy it, enjoy it, support uh, T. Kingfisher and Ursula Vernon. Um, breathe it in. Breathe it. Um, eat it. Eat it, ingest it, imbibe it, snort listen. it. Don't do you want to snort them. this book? No, don't just get the audiobook or read it. Don't be weird like that. Don't. Please don't ingest any reading material. Unless it's like those candy. Yeah, if right. you're lame. Oh. Or you could be cool like us and snort books. Snort Wham books. Snort Wham books. Not endorse snorting things. But I have it... this big nose and it's so good for snorting. Oh my god, no. That's not... Look at it. So much. It's so cute. I love your nose. How big your nose is. The better for doing drugs, my dear. (laughs) All right. Damn it. (laughs) Gotten it there. (laughs) All right. Next week is Valentine's Day. We hope all our sluts and darlings have an excellent time. And remember... You are all our Valentines. While we won't be covering a book for the sexiest holiday of the year, we will be sharing another Oops All Fan Fictions event with you. So tune in for Oops All Fan Fictions 2, Absolutely Shrekt. In the meantime, oh, go ahead. I just want the community to know that I'm not a cheap date, so. I want flowers or something. I am a cheap date. I'm, I'm a cheap date. Very cheap. I take gift cards. I don't know what that makes me. A whore. I'm a whore. You don't get... You're not a whore if you get gift cards. My grandma gives me gift cards. I'm saying that from the community, I accept gift cards because I'm a whore. It's like to TJ Maxx. Do sluts go to TJ Maxx? Oh, yeah. The sluts know about TJ Maxx. Oh, shit. I think the sluts exclusively go to TJ Maxx. They're they're Maxinistas. 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 (laughs) You remember those commercials? The Maxinista commercials? (laughs) Can we end? Uh, can I end of, my like, existence? Cole's cash in stripper's <laughs> underwear. Like, here you go, baby. Oh, my God. Uh, Cole's cash is a fucking joke. It's worthless. I used to work at Cole's. It sucks. The Andy lore. <laughs> it expires so fast. It does expire super fast. It's like you have to go every week to actually use your Cole's so cash, which your, is just like an yeah. entire like scam to make Give you your strippers yes. TJ Maxx gift cards this year, folks. Yeah, because they can be Maxinistas. And someone in the meantime, yes. looking for hot content and even hotter vibes, check out our Patreon. You can find it linked on our Twitter and Blue Sky, WBTYM Pod. You can also find us on Instagram with the same name. Plus, we have a Facebook page and Tumblr. If you're and into a TikTok. That kind of thing. A TikTok oh, now. I've been and a TikToks. TikTok now. We do have a TikTok. A fucking but great it's just, TikTok, it's just by the way. It's WBTYM. There's no pod in it. It's just... WBTYM, okay. our TikTok, which Roxy has been posting on, so it's great. <laughs> no, that's not. No, it doesn't make it great. Listen, It makes it wonderful. It's lovely. Oh, I need to go. <laughs> Please follow, rate, and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Tell a friend, chase down a coworker. We've got so much love to give, and we need your help to spread it. Finally, we'd like to thank Acorns for our theme song, Ben for his editing notes, and Saria for your lovely patronage. This has been Wham Bam Thank You, Ma'am. We hope we've left you 
thoroughly satisfied. Get flirty. And, and stay Also, thank you, Saria. Thank you. Just murder people if they get in your way. I swear to Christ.